When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. mention very quick, quickly why you will not hear me discuss for the next four hours the uh, nightclub shooting in Colorado Springs. Obviously, whenever you have five people dead, 25 people wounded in an act of uh, hate, a mass mass shooting of this magnitude, it's certainly important, and nobody's more cognizant of that than me. But I, I am of the belief that all of the media attention to these mass shootings and this has been borne out by some research that, well, I don't know if it's been borne out, but it's been theorized by people who are a lot smarter than me. Um, I'm of the belief that the media coverage of these mass shootings leads to more mass shootings. So I don't want to contribute to that. And uh, you could say the same thing about this mass shooting that you do every other mass shooting. And unfortunately, they're, they're, they happen far too often. And unfortunately, there will be another one next week. So I'm not going to say anything about it, but uh, that should not be read as any lack of concern on the part of the people affected by this. And uh, they will all sincerely be in my prayers. Now, you follow soccer. I really don't. Nothing against it. I played soccer as a kid. It's a wonderful sport. It's the world's most popular sport. It's a great way to stay in shape for children and adults. If uh, my son wants to play soccer when he's a little bit older, I think that'll be great. I have always been fascinated by the World Cup. Right. Because to me, and I say this every year, every time the World Cup comes around, to me, the World Cup, it basically becomes an excuse in the days when people actually had to show up to work at the office. It becomes an excuse to not work. And it becomes you have all these people that pay no attention to soccer for years. And then all of a sudden the World Cup happens. And they are magically transformed into soccer fans. You go into any bar in downtown Manhattan during the World Cup in the middle of the day. You see, I don't know, Portugal playing Germany. And the bar is packed in the middle of the day with all these people cheering on the favorite soccer team. And I'm looking around and thinking, why are none of these people at work? I mean, for somehow, some reason, there's something about the World Cup that transforms baseball fans, football fans, basketball fans, hockey fans into soccer fans. And for some reason, we in the workplace culture have learned to accept the World Cup as an excuse for not doing anything. Every four years, 
and I, look, I, I'm not knocking it. I love sports. I love international competition. I love big events. And the World Cup certainly is all these things. Every four years, the, the World Cup has these huge TV ratings. And you have these fun announcers where they, they're speaking a foreign language. You know, they'll speak uh, Spanish, Italian, Greek, whatever they're speaking, German. And then all of a sudden, you can't make out a word they're saying. And then all of a sudden, it's go! goes crazy and it's fun i have nothing against it um remarkable athleticism with no hands and a lot of people always complaining why did the u.s team not do a little bit better this year's world cup the world cup began this weekend this year's world cup feels a lot different and not for the better the sketchy circumstances through which the host country uh, I know they say sometimes it's pronounced Qatar. I'm going to call it Qatar. It looks like a Qatar, so I'm going to stick with Qatar. The host country, Qatar, was selected amidst a whole bunch of controversy, and there are controversies stemming from the Qatari governments, and it is overshadowing anything that's happening on the field. And we've talked about this a little bit. Bars in places like France and Germany banning showing the World Cup or not participating in showing the World Cup because of the human rights abuses uh, with Qatar. There are a bunch of reasons why this isn't your typical World Cup. First of all, it's not in the summer. And I, I thought that maybe I was misremembering, and then I read an article yesterday, and sure enough, yeah, it's usually in the summer. The World Cup usually takes place in the summer months, which has made it pretty easy to watch games at work while your boss is away on vacation. But try that in the fall. It's a little difficult. But Qatar's weather is unbearably hot in the summer, regularly exceeding 100 degrees. So the organizers moved it to the fall. That's proving incredibly disruptive for domestic soccer leagues across the world, which have had to take long breaks in the middle of their season so that players can compete in the World Cup. How was Qatar selected? So I did. I went down a whole rabbit hole yesterday as I was researching this because it struck me as unusual. Because it's unprecedented. Qatar's soccer team, ready for this, had never qualified for the tournament. Never qualified for the World Cup when it was selected in 2010. And it's not exactly equipped to host one either, Qatar. It had just one operational soccer stadium in the entire country. So how did Qatar get this? Well, I think you could tell by the cynical tone in which I'm asking the question. I think the answer is corruption. In 2020, after a years-long investigation, the U.S. Department of Justice alleged that representatives working for Qatar and Russia, which hosted the World Cup in 2018, bribed FIFA officials to win hosting rights. That's the only way I see this as having happened. I, I will bet you dollars to donuts that these FIFA officials were bribed bigly by Qatar to let them host the World Cup. Um, there's been a lot of attention paid to beer, and we're going to pay attention to beer, but there are also all these human rights abuses. Qatar is a small nation of less than 3 million. They rely on migrant workers to build the infrastructure needed to host the tournament. But according to Amnesty International, 
They've said that the conditions those workers endure border on modern slavery. More than 6,500 migrant workers from South Asia. You ready for this? More than 6,500 from South Asia have died since Qatar was awarded the World Cup in 2010. Um, That's according to The Guardian, which also says that's an extreme undercount. The Qatari government did introduce some reforms, to their credit, including the creation of a support fund that paid harmed workers reparations. But according to every human rights watchdog in the world, everyone says they haven't gone far enough to actually fix the wrongdoing. Additionally, Qatar's uh, – let's say you don't care about migrant workers. I realize that's not exactly a fashionable group to cheer on. Critics – Critics, critic after critic, they've called out the government's restrictions on homosexuality, which is a crime there, and women's curtailed rights. If you're a woman in Qatar, you cannot drive without a male guardian's approval. And yet, they're being awarded the World Cup, which essentially gives them an international commercial. It gives them this is something that countries should be given for good behavior, not for bribery, killing migrant workers after treating them like slaves and criminalizing homosexuality. In a bizarre hour long speech on Saturday, the president of FIFA, which is the organization that runs the World Cup, Johnny Infantino, great name. I love that. Sought to deflect all this criticism from Qatar Towards himself. I mean, first of all, think about that. What must this guy be getting in return if he's willing to take all the oncoming and saying, don't blame Qatar, blame me? Okay. This is what he said. Quote, don't criticize Qatar. Don't criticize the players. Don't criticize anyone. Boy, he wouldn't make it at this station. I'll tell you that. Criticize FIFA. Criticize me if you want. Because I'm responsible for everything. Don't you think that's a bizarre thing for the head of FIFA to say? Usually these bureaucrats, whether we're talking sports, whether we're talking the corporate boardroom, whether we're talking politics, usually bureaucrats are expert at shrugging their shoulders and passing the buck and saying, oh, it wasn't me. It was this. It was that. This guy is saying the exact opposite. What do you think is at play here? Why do you think Qatar was selected, even though they clearly shouldn't have been? 800-848-9222. Similar to, I'm going to repeat some of the things that I said about the Beijing 2022 Olympics. Similar to to the global backlash that they got, there is a huge backlash brewing against World Cup Qatar. And I think this is going to dim enthusiasm significantly for the tournament. You have Denmark's jerseys with a toned-down design to protest Qatar's human rights records. Cities across Europe, including Paris and London, are pausing the tradition of showing World Cup games in public spaces for the same reason. And what is going to be most immediate to people, most immediately noticeable if you're going to one of these games, there's no beer! Federico Faraz is a FIFA fan from Portugal. He was on Bloomberg a few days ago talking about this Qatar beer ban at the World Cup. I mean, it's 
two days before the World Cup starts, and now they say that they won't serve beer at the World Cup. I've been to several World Cups, and uh, it's the first time that not even in the stadium they would say serve beer. I think it's a bit bad, because for me, beer and football go hand in hand. This is insane. Okay, and now, I got, it's great to uh, abstain from alcohol, but what happened here is Qatar lied to the world. Two days before the first World Cup match, Qatari officials laid down the alcohol gauntlet. No beer at the games. And while it's a 180 from their initial promise to serve beer outside the stadiums before and after the games, the writing was probably on the wall about six days ago when the country's royal family handed down orders to move beer tents to less prominent areas around the stadium. Booze will still be served in designating fan, designated fan zones and high-priced stadium suites for tournament officials and rich folks. But considering the fact that Budweiser has been the event's official beer sponsor for, I don't know, almost 40 years, and they shell out about $75 million every four years to hold that title, I can't imagine Budweiser is too happy about this. And neither can FIFA be, which has been trying to compromise with this conservative Muslim country on this on these stringent alcohol rules. Qatar initially wanted a fully dry World Cup. Now, they're not getting that, but it's almost that. There are only two liquor stores in all of Qatar. Drinking and being drunk in public are illegal. And, but boy, you, you, if, if I ever visited Qatar, they'd give me the death penalty. Any alcohol found in visitors' luggage is confiscated. And the country slapped a 100% tax on alcohol imports in 2019. So Qatar has the most expensive beer in the world with an 11-ounce bottle costing $11.26. Can you imagine so Budweiser, they're going crazy. They're walking on eggshells. You have Budweiser, obviously one of the most influential companies in the country, probably the world. And uh, they're a powerful influence at, you know, summer barbecues. Its presence in Qatar has been very spotty since the country won the World Cup 12 years ago. It's illegal to advertise alcohol in Qatar. So Budweiser tailored its ads to highlight soccer stars in a classic, inspirational sports kind of way. I thought it was actually pretty creative. It's also using the opportunity to promote its non-alcoholic beer, Budweiser Zero. Very smart. Peter Kramer is the chief supply officer at Budweiser's parent company, said their team is expecting more beer to be drunk in the country during the four weeks of the World Cup than in an entire year. Even with the addition of temporary taps at fan zones, the very few watering holes that sustain the light-drinking country of 3 million are looking at an influx of probably 1.2 million soccer fans that have even fewer places to grab a drink now. So uh, I am very unhappy about this. And I'll tell you, I'm going to my mother-in-law's on uh, Thanksgiving. That's the plan anyway. So I don't know if they're going to have the U.S. game on. They probably will because... My brothers-in-law are all real sports fans. But um, they're playing Iran, Iran I believe. So I, if, if they have the game on, I'll probably watch it. More than half of the global population will watch the World Cup. Unless this game is on somewhere where I happen to be 
and I'm not in control of the television, I'm not watching. I am not watching it at all. Um, this year's World Cup is expected to be viewed by 5 billion people. Think about that. You want to know how many 5 billion people is? How many people do you think are in the world? You know what the global population is? 8 billion. 8 billion. And 5 billion of them are going to watch the World Cup. Well, I got news for you, TV project, TV ratings projectionists. Make that 499,999,999. Because I will not be one of them. Make it 98 because I'm not watching You're not either. watching either. I've never watched. I'd rather watch a rerun, a marathon of the Golden Girls before I watch the World Cup. Yeah. I could care less about soccer. And, oh, and by the way, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Don't comment on Matt Blaze's chosen um, you know, vernacular of I could care less instead of I couldn't care less. Let's hold off on that. We'll, we'll save that for later. Uh, because did we I say that? You did, yes. I meant couldn't. Yeah, but it's I hate okay. that too. A lot of people say I could. <laughs> no, no, I'm, no, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm in your camp. No, please, that's okay. I've just heard it too much. I all of a sudden, it just came out. I that know way. that's what happens. We'll table that discussion. If you want to comment, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Oh, this is my favorite part. Qatar. See, it, you know, it's so funny to me what countries are are advertising. Homosexuality is a crime there. Women have no rights. They can't drive. Do you know what Qatar is telling the world? Which, if you believe this. I have a, a bridge to sell you, okay? Qatar <laughs> Qatar is saying that the World Cup will be carbon neutral. Come on! Are you serious? Carbon neutral? They didn't secure the World Cup hosting duties by having a reputation as the most environmentally friendly, consci- environmentally conscious of countries. It is a huge oil and gas exporter. It is considered one of the highest emitters of carbon dioxide per capita in the entire world. And as national economies go, Qatar's basically an energy company that also happens to have some malls and beaches. Nevertheless, they are claiming, and they expect you to believe, and I am on record not believing this, they expect you to believe that this will be the first ever Carbon Neutral World Cup. Please. Please. First of all, it says so much about society that human rights, oh, we can look past that. Oh, uh, no beer, we can look past that. But um, carbon neutral, that's what we're going to make sure we're serious about. Please, Uh, Qatar has highlighted their efforts to make the World Cup sustainable like making one of the seven stadiums it built for the tournament a temporary structure constructed of 974 shipping containers. Please, I am not buying this for a second, and neither are the people who actually know what they're talking about. A report released by Carbon Market Watch said the organizers used very creative math to get their estimate, undercounting by a factor of eight one big sticking point is how to calculate the emissions from the construction of those six other new stadiums. It's not carbon neutral. They are spending $220 billion to host this tournament in an effort to burnish their international reputation. But I am going to loudly, as often as I'm able for the duration of this tournament, I am going to be using this as an opportunity to tell anybody that cares about my opinion 
or anybody that has the bad judgment to ask my opinion, what a what a fallacious enterprise this whole thing is. Qatar is a horrible government. They oppress their own people. They oppress other people. It is the opposite of freedom. They should not have been awarded an international competition of this magnitude, and they should not be getting to use this as an opportunity to improve their reputation. My hope is that the eyes of the world will finally see Qatar for what they are. And I hope this has the opposite of their intended effect. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Ralph in Yorktown. Hello, Ralph. Uh, it's, it's Ralph. Frank, how you doing? How you doing, Ralph? Hey, um, well, what you said before, on, th- on Thursday Thanksgiving, uh, no way, no way, no way would ever I watch the World Cup. It's it's Thanksgiving. I would watch the. That's the only. That's the only holiday I get off. Anyway, because I, my my weekend's Wednesday and Thursday, so no way in hell would I watch the World Cup in the first place. Okay, well I, I'm. When they, when they had the World Cup here, I think it was in '94. Right. I used to drive cabs in the Bronx, and I had to take a bunch of um, Irish guys from Woodlawn down to, to Giant Stadium. That's the first time I ever heard of, of the World Cup. Well, I mean, that's I still, said, I, I, that still gives you about 30, I said, I said, 30 years of having heard of it. Ralph, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm not against the World Cup. I, I love for people to have a good time. I love sports. I love international competition. I love, you know, I love patriotism. If something leads you to have pride in your country, I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. I love impressive athleticism. I think that's all great. And you know what? I'm a big believer in if, if, you know, if something is fun for you, by all means, do it. As long as it doesn't affect me. This is an exception uh, because Qatar is a horrible world citizen. And yet through, I believe, bribery. They are getting a world stage for one of the best-known international sporting events in the country. 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. A couple of minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Bernard Getz. Remember Bernard Getz? Well, Bernard Getz, in addition to being known for what most people know him for, is also an outspoken animal rights activist, and he is not at all happy with this bear hunt going on in New Jersey. So we're going to get into that in a big way. Dominic is calling from Toronto, a first-timer. Dominic, congratulations on those two World Series that you won. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I listen to your show uh, not every night, but practically every night. All right, well, Carter hopefully we'll and, win and you Rita over. Cosby. <laughs> Great. Right. Anyhow, um, basically what I really would want to say is FIFA really, really showed their true colors uh, with corruption in the last two selections. Like, I mean, you don't pick the U.S. seriously. The U.S. has everything. Hotels, infrastructure, stadiums, you name it, the U.S. has it. Beer. And they picked (laughs) beer too. Um, But they picked Russia and Qatar. And I was watching a documentary on FIFA, and so much corruption was going on. Uh, Votes were being purchased, uh, were being bought. 
Uh, there was uh, Jack Warner, the head of, uh, I believe it's CONCACAF, which he controls 27 Caribbean countries, and they all vote his way. And there was also an American guy that was getting a piece of the action as well, too. Oh, I believe it. Um, I yeah, believe it. Yeah, so it was um, – well, the FBI did grab the American guy, and he sang like a canary. And uh, a lot of guys were – well, that, that Jack Warner, he's not allowed to, to come into the States. or he, I believe the FBI's got a uh, – uh, a warrant out for him, so he 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 basically can only stay in his little country there, and that's about it. But uh, yeah, corruption is rampant. It's always been that way. Uh, Europe is—I hate to say it—but Europe is is the king of corruption. It's always been that way. Well, look, that's uh, my opinion, anyhow. You, you know, so. Dominic, I uh, thank you for the call. Thanks for listening in uh, in Canada. I think if you throw money and temptation at a lot of people they will, you know, succumb to it. I don't know what a better solution is to reforming the country selection process. Maybe it's just to make it random. Maybe if all, you take all the countries that want to host the World Cup and you, um, you maybe you just randomly pick one, right? I don't, know that, I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't pretend to have all the answers. But I will tell you this, this is a travesty. What the world is engaging in now is a travesty. And if 5 billion people do watch the World Cup, then I hope it's 5 billion people seeing Qatar for what they are, not for what they're pretending to be. I'm going to talk to Bernard Getz in just a minute. Uh, Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hey, good evening, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. But you're, you're absolutely right about m- much of the stuff. But people have to keep in mind that this is an Arab-Muslim country and that this is what you get. I mean, they don't sell beer. They don't want any beer because they don't want alcohol. They don't want fighting in the stands. It tends to happen here. At American sporting events, they they were very restrictive about how women are to dress in public. A woman can't go out wearing shorts or a mini skirt or stuff like that. I mean, this is an Arab Muslim country. I don't want to say anything it's Islamophobic or anything, like that, but I want people to think about next time they criticize Israel. This is the neighborhood that is our friends in Israel are living in, and Israel's one of the most tolerant, you know, Western-style democracies, and people are very critical, including the basketball player that people have been talking about, the Brooklyn Nets fellow. I mean, it, it, people are very harshly critical of Israel. This is the neighborhood that they live in, and the Middle East is not the Middle West, obviously. Well, and, uh, yeah, thank you, Charlie. Nature. But again— I think Qatar, and I appreciate the call, I think Qatar is a bad actor even by Middle Eastern standards. Now, you say um, it's an Arab-Muslim country, almost as if to just excuse, well, that's what you expect. You know what else is an Arab-Muslim country? Jordan. Jordan. This is not going on in Jordan. You could buy a beer in Jordan. You know what else is an Arab-Muslim country? Egypt. You, you could get a beer in Egypt. Um, we're not seeing 6,500 migrant slaves dying in the last 12 years in Egypt. Now, I'm not saying things are perfect in Jordan or Egypt. Things aren't perfect anywhere. But there are a lot of Muslim countries, there are a lot of Arab countries that have no problem giving people, I don't know, some rights. And uh, I think what they have done here is just horrible. And I believe it was only achieved through bribery. Hey, we're going to talk about the bear hunt in New Jersey with uh, Bernard Getz in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Baby, let me be your love, daddy, baby. 
chain around my neck and lead me anywhere. Let me be. Oh, let him be. I don't wanna be a tiger, 'cause tigers play too rough. I don't wanna be a lion, 'cause lions ain't the kind you love enough. The great Elvis Presley. Well, if uh, you are someone's teddy bear, you may want to stay out of New Jersey because I think they can soon be hunted. Although. Um, Actually, I don't think it's teddy bears. I believe it's black bears. They practice racial bear supremacy in the state of New Jersey. It's funny. You know where the teddy bear, the stuffed animal, came from? Basically, it was, and you know why it's called a teddy bear? It was because of Teddy Roosevelt's refusal to shoot a bear. And they made a, a doll out of it, a stuffed animal out of it. Um Bernard Getz is a former candidate for New York City mayor, former candidate for public advocate. He is an animal rights activist and obviously very well known for an incident uh, on the subway in the 1980s. Uh, Bernard, it is uh, great to talk with you again. Thanks so much for coming on. I know this is an issue you're really passionate about. Um, My pleasure. Uh, I care about many issues. This is not an issue that... That that drives me, but uh, well, well, Bernie, thought, let, let me ask you this first. Now, I I wrote out the guest sheet for our show, and I wrote out your name B E R N A R D. Now, yes. I send this to our staff, and then our producer Alex sends out a revised guest list where he spells your name B E R with an H. You know, uh, Bern yeah. Hard gets B E R N H A R D. So I, I respond, and, you know, it was nice. We had a nice break from all this stuff for a couple of days when Alex was off. Uh, I respond by saying, you know, that's incorrect. It's Bernard, it not Bernhard. And he, sa- and he sends me a link to a Brit- Encyclopedia Britannica article with the H spelling. I send yes. him a link to your filing from when you ran for mayor and I, without the H. And then I said, well, maybe he spelled his own name wrong. He then says, well, then why does every news outlet on the Internet – and this is exactly what I want to be doing an hour before the show is arguing about whether your name has an H in it or not, which I didn't have to do for the two days that he was up. And he, sa- he says, why does every news article uh, everywhere include the H? So now that I see that you got caller ID and you're calling and there's no H in your name, I'm wondering, can you put uh, an end to this controversy once and for all? H, no H. Uh, well, it's it's really not a big deal. Uh, on my birth certificate, I was born Bernard Hugo Getz, B-E-R-N-A-R-D, you, without the H mm-hmm. in my first name. But Hugo is my middle name. So I use uh, – uh, but, but so often if I sign my name, it, it can be Bernard H. Getz. However, I commonly use the name uh, – with an H, for years when I lived in New York, my father had a large corporation in which on the books I owed a percentage of it. And I would, uh, because of that, uh, and also I wanted a Florida driver's license so I could buy guns legally in Florida <laughs> while living in New York, I, I used the name uh, Bernhard uh, Bernhard gets, which was on my Florida driver's license. When I turned myself in in New Hampshire, I gave them that as ID. Ah, so, I so see. around the world, it was Bernhard, you go gets. And once 
that became established around the world. That is used as my name a great deal. All right, but for those of us concerned both, both with spell, accuracy, both spellings are used. Not, not, it's not a big deal. Okay, either way. fair enough. Hey, uh, I do want to talk about this uh, bear hunt, but um, you have been very vocal, and when you ran for office a couple of times, another one of your big issues was marijuana decriminalization. It seems like the rest of the country, certainly New York, New Jersey, a bunch of other places, have come around to your way of thinking on marijuana. Are you pleased with kind of the new thinking on this issue that America seems to be experiencing? I, I th- well, I think generally it's a good thing. Marijuana decriminalization is not going to solve the world's problems. I think it will make people a little bit uh, less uptight. And like any type of drug, of course, there's problems. Some people will abuse alcohol. And uh, uh, but the, the marijuana, a lot of a lot of the drug arrests, I feel, were just unnecessary. If uh, I, I think the crackdown on drugs may have, may probably causes more problems uh, than it solves. People, uh, you know, you hear of these awful occasional police raids where they break into people's houses in the middle of the morning and they shoot people and. Uh, all this type of thing, it, it, it makes problems for people. If, if uh, you know, it's, it's again, marijuana is addictive to a, a small percentage of people. But I, th- I think marijuana actually generally opens up people's minds. It makes them a little more tolerant. I saw a uh, statistic Sunday morning that indicated that more people are routinely smoking marijuana than are smoking uh, tobacco cigarettes. And I I saw a study last week that said that that marijuana smoke could actually be more harmful to your lungs than tobacco smoke. Do you put any stock in a study like that? Oh, sure, sure. I think it is. Uh, But, uh, for example, if I smoke some pot, I generally take one puff of decent pot, and that's enough to get me off for hours. Gotcha. And so, uh, but a person who smokes cigarettes, right? They're doing a whole bunch. Inhales hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. There are some people who smoke half a pack of cigarettes a day, even a pack. So, uh, so puff, puff, puff by puff. Right. I, I think marijuana is more harmful uh, than than cigarette smoking, but. All things in moderation. All right. This was the governor of the state of New Jersey a few days ago talking about the reinstatement of the bear hunt. Here's Phil Murphy. The data, the empirical data and the anecdotal evidence was overwhelming that we were coming close to putting people, people's lives at risk. And we can't let that happen. All right. He says we got to do something about all the bears that are running around in New Jersey Give me your thoughts on the bear hunt and this as a solution for the bear problem in New Jersey. Oh, well, I think animal populations need to be controlled uh, often. Uh, Human population on the planet probably needs to be controlled. And uh, what they're talking about in New Jersey, it's not the end of the world. They're talking about only a 20 percent reduction in, in the bears. They want to continue a bear hunt until the bear population has been reduced. I think it's primarily in four counties from about 3,000 to about 2,400. But, um, you know, when you reduce populations like that, the killing is so indiscriminate. And I I think it should be used as an opportunity to 
to have the uh, genetic characteristics that you would want in bears. Uh, for example, fortunately, we don't have lions running around mm-hmm. here. But uh, you, don't, you, you, you don't want an animal to be aggressive. And uh, it's also probably better to have smaller animals. Uh, a- animals like bears living in New Jersey, it's simply a fact. They live in a world that's dominated by people. They have to get along with people. So uh, the, I think the process should be more selective. You can breed, just like, breed them like dogs, like you, even if they're wild. You want the, generally you want the gentler ones to reproduce. You want the, um, uh, uh, generally smaller ones. Uh, smaller bears are less of a threat to people. Uh, I sent you a picture, uh, a rather frightening picture, an actual picture of some chim- chimpanzees, mm. uh, hairless chimpanzees, uh, in uh, in a zoo in England, and uh, they put about twenty of these together in uh, two or three enclosures that are all connected together, and they fight, and they have a breeding process uh, which you see in nature where you have these. The, the most barbaric and aggressive ones survive. It's it's brutal mm. the, the, on the other chimpanzees that they have to live with the most aggressive ones. And yeah, I, I, I see the process there that you see sometimes in, in squirrels, where you have squirrels breeding in an enclosed area. It's that the males will wind up having uh, huge testicular sacs mm. because it's only the most extremely uh, horny ones that that uh, reproduce and uh, you wind up having a, a form of defective evolution i'm going to um i, I just uh, posted a link to this photo on my facebook page so people could see the photo that we're talking about facebook.com slash morano fan so bernie given everything that you've said then about uh you know how society should encourage the breeding of smaller less aggressive bears so that uh, bears in a world that's dominated by people aren't a threat to people do you think that this bear solution this bear hunt solution in new jersey makes sense well uh i've seen what happens when a bear rip goes into a house and rips up a house it causes a lot of damage and uh, the the biggest problem is is uh, if a, if a person is in the house at the same time you, you the bear needs to a way to get out and uh, instead of going out the front door it typically breaks out another window you don't want bears to to uh you know, to be a threat to people. Of course, the biggest threat to people uh, right now in the world is other people, mm-hmm. crime. But, uh, but uh, I, I think uh, if if you're going to reduce an animal's population, it's an, it's an opportunity to improve it genetically. And and again, I'm not a, against population control. I think someday the world is going to need it. The third world population is exploding like crazy. The rough figure in Africa is that since World War II, I think the population of Africa has increased by a factor of seven. And uh, eventually human population is, is going to have to be controlled and limited. It, it, in fact, it probably should be reduced. Well, one of the putting aside the human population control, which I think probably calls calls for a broader discussion. One of the things they're claiming with this bear hunt in New Jersey, and I heard uh, Curtis Lee, his wife, talking about this a couple of hours ago, 
and she is, uh, I think, very opposed to this. One of the things they're claiming is that by if the bears know they're going to be hunted if they go into areas that are dominated by humans, then they may actually change their behavior a little bit to stay away from those areas. Does the rationale behind allowing the bear hunt seasonally um, seem to make sense if that's the goal? Well, they do the bear hunting in all areas. They do it in 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 the wilderness areas, and they do it in in communities where bears are seen. So again, it's it's rather indiscriminate. They they're just going to reduce the the total bear population by twenty percent, which has some logic to it. But I'm saying there are better answers if you're going to uh, if you're going to uh, reduce the population. Perhaps it should be done more discriminately. I, I think people could control animals' populations humanely without even having things like huts. The, most animals in the world at times in their life are are suffering not only fear but starvation, and they go around spending all day looking for food. Uh, that's why this poor bear uh, that was called Petals that was killed years mm-hmm. ago in New Jersey would walk around neighborhoods walking on two legs. He was always looking for food. They're always hungry. And and uh, if just occasionally you put out some food for bears, it could be food that people uh, discard, old corn, old apples, things like that. They will gobble them all up. And if occasionally you dart them or you put some uh, tranquilizer in the food, it won't, it won't make a, any difference to them. And you can... Uh, sterilize the ones you want if there are cases of an animal suffering or some type of animal which is a real problem you can euthanize it well that that was but, the, the a big part of the strategy behind controlling the deer population on Staten Island and, and I know there was some folks like Joe Loda that was sa- that were saying you should allow the deer to be hunted with bow bow and arrows and that went over like a lead balloon uh, because people didn't want to kill these deer but uh, that the the solution that seems to at least be making some progress is exactly what you described uh, to tranquilize them and have them uh, have them neutered but um, is, um, is that what a lot of other states do that have animal populations, uh, you know, and human populations in close proximity with one another? No, I, I don't think they do. Mankind is growing a great deal. Remember, it was only in 1900 that indoor plumbing came to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1900, the, the first uh, place that had indoor plumbing in New York City was the Plaza Hotel at, about, at approximately the year 1900. So man is coming a long way. Man has only recently been able to take care of itself with reasonable comfort. I think there's been a great improvement in the standard of living throughout the world in only the past uh, 20, 25 years due to the internet. I know um, and, and, and I, people... Sorry, people can, yeah, no. Well, people, people really can't uh, take care of others until people can take care of themselves first. And I think mankind is has grown a great deal I know, over the past few centuries. I know you're passionate about, and we're talking with Bernard Getz. Um, I know you're passionate about vegetarianism for both health reasons and for animal rights reasons. Do you ethical th- reasons? I, I I don't think the human race can grow above a certain emotional level until our species basically 
stops looking at other living creatures as uh, a menu item. Do you think hunting should be should be even something that is permitted anywhere? Well, I think uh, I, I think there's a number of responsibilities for a mature species that dominates the planet, and right now uh, the selective. Uh, Elimination of animals uh, is you're, you're probably going to need hunting <laughs> because uh, particularly in places like a- Africa, you look at Africa, oh my God, the animals, uh, the level of violence in some of the animals is extraordinary. And that's because they're competitive. They're all eating each other. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, so, so hunting, hunting is... Uh, it's not that I'm against hunting. Also, I, I rem- I've been to Pennsylvania where it's much less of this now. Mm. But some people who who have a, a small family and uh, they don't have a lot of money, if they shoot a deer, that puts meat on their table right. over the winter, even though that's a rare thing. Sure. I'm not, I, I don't know if that can be used as a good justification, a general justification anymore. Uh, Bernie, a lot of folks may not have heard your name in uh, decades, and folks may wonder just what you're up to these days. What 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 are you up to these days? What, what do you spend most of your time doing? Well, uh, the, the uh, I I for a living, I buy and sell industrial electronics, but I'm getting out of that right now. I uh, I'm doing a science paper on these things that are. They call black holes, which people are very confused by. And uh, I'm interested. After that, I'm interested in gold, uh, uh, global warming. There's, uh, I, I think, the global warming stuff that's going on now. It's, it's basically a farce. That, that uh, carbon. You know, you talk about uh, Quetar being not carbon neutral. Well, carbon. I, I, I'm sure. Airborne carbon dioxide is not the uh, problem with global warming. What uh, basically what you mean by global warming is the warming of the upper layer of the ocean surface, and uh, oceans cover three quarters of the planet. That's the driving force for weather, and uh, the warming of the op- of the ocean surface is not caused by CO2 way yeah. up in the air. It's caused by most of the, the, the common sense thing. It's caused by sunlight absorption in the ocean. And clean ocean water reflects on the average more sunlight than land. Dirty ocean water, dark ocean water absorbs more sunlight than land. Bernie, uh, I have to, I have that, to run. But, but, but uh, and, anyway, it's water pollution. What I worked in, I, I've, I used to have a license in water pollution. Darker water absorbs more sunlight. Well, I'd love to have you on to talk about black holes one of these days because it's something that I'm uh, very interested in but know very little about. So I'd be very curious to read anything that you uh, that you write on that uh, front. But I'm, I'm, okay, yes, I'm uh, a little I'm a little careful about releasing stuff. Okay, well, no, I mean I, down the line it doesn't have to be anytime soon. But uh, last question I'll ask Bernie is: um, y- your name has been so associated with crime and escalating crime, particularly on the subways. We've seen the crime statistics not just in New York but cities around the country uh, go up, uh, not nearly where, where it was back in 1984, but people are pretty frightened about taking the subway on a daily basis. 
from the trends that you see, do you think we might be heading towards a New York that was like the one that you had your incident in in 1984? Well, no, the, the crime was much worse. And in, in, in the 80s, people say, oh, it's going back to that. It's like that. It absolutely isn't like that. New York City was uh, poorer back then. A lot of the stuff uh, that goes out on the street today and in the subways is uh, it's extremely unpleasant people or people. Some people act very unpleasant, but many of them are mentally ill. And that's not mm. to say real violence uh, doesn't happen. But when you have really violent, when you have violent people, when you have trouble, there only is one answer, and that is you have to lock them up. You have to separate them from society. It's long been known that that when Giuliani came in, if you have, let's say, 1% of the population makes trouble for others and does violence, you have a certain crime rate. No, I've heard John Katzmatidi say the same thing on on almost a daily basis. If you incarcerate one half of them, you're pr- amazingly, your crime goes down mm. statistically amazingly Bernie, by half. We, we, we're going to you... have to end it there. I appreciate the time and uh, appreciate your expertise on the bear front. Hopefully we can chat again soon. Okay. Very good. A Thank pleasure. You. Very good. Good if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Blue skies smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies do I see. Bluebirds singing a song. Nothing but bluebirds all day long. Never saw the sun. The great Frank Sinatra singing Blue Skies. Uh, First of all, I love this song. And uh, no matter who's singing it, uh, Bing Crosby, uh, this version by Sinatra is just great. This version of this song was a favorite of John F. Kennedy. Uh, believe it or not, and tomorrow is, of course, the an- the anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And we always, since we've been on the air, we always spend a little bit of time exploring what exactly happened with that Kennedy assassination. So uh, tomorrow will be no exception. We're going to get into that in a uh, big way. Uh, but I thought it might be fun to play some of President Kennedy's favorites, right? Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. An action packed show. No more guests, so there's going to be plenty of time for us to speak. Uh, we got commendations coming up and a bunch of other things. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Uh, good morning, Frank. You know, in regards to your uh, uh, conversation, your discussion with uh, Bernie Getz, I just wanted to say in regards to the uh, that the bear, the bear hunt in the New Jersey that's going on. Uh, I think it's justified because. I think the bears are becoming more brazen. Uh, you know, you see all this going on throughout the country. And I think about five years ago in a preserve up there, uh, you had a black bear actually, uh, you know, kill a civilian, kill a person. And, you know, I vacation up in Cape Cod, and I've seen myself that there's more coyotes coming out and becoming mm-hmm. a problem. 
So I think uh, it's justified to have that bear hunt. Yeah, well, it's interesting, and thank you, Al. Uh, I was very careful to ask Bernie exactly that, and he and I, I thought he was going to take a different approach, but that's what's so great about this show. It's unpredictable, even for me. Basically, he said he's he understands there's got to be some population control. You know, you can't have bears and humans running around together uh, in it, out, out there. So I get it. Hey, uh, those of you that are holding, we're going to get to you after the top of the hour. And guess who's out of Twitter jail? Here's a hint. He might be the next president of the United States. Uh, until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. And I have to tell you, I am very relieved. I am talking about the decision by the head of Twitter, Elon Musk, to reinstate former President Trump. I thought it was absurd when um, when President Trump was banned from Twitter uh, to begin with. And you know who else did is almost every world leader all around the world. Okay, and so, you know. Even um, the president of Mexico, who's basically a socialist, he released a statement saying that um, that uh, he was happy to see President Trump back on Twitter. Uh, really, only in America were uh, you know people supportive of Trump's ban on, on Twitter. Now, I think this is an important first step. It is important to note that this is different from what Elon Musk said. Remember what Elon Musk said he was going to do when it came to reinstating people and this and that. He said they were going to have a moderation council and they were going to work on a process. They were going to work on a process for figuring this kind of thing out. And they didn't do that. Instead, Musk put a poll on Twitter and ask people to vote on whether Trump should be reinstated or not. And they voted, apparently, to reinstate him. About 51% and change, just under 52% of the people voted yes to have him reinstated. And slowly but surely, we're starting to see some of the people... Oh, they also reinstated Kathy Griffin. Uh, From what I understand, Kanye West is also back. I think it's only a matter of time before uh, Roger Stone is back. But uh, I think what we're going to see is people coming back. CBS News had decided to stop using Twitter. And yesterday, they all of a sudden decided it's once again safe to use Twitter. They're continuing to assess security concerns and monitor the situation. Uh, Who knows? If there are more outbreaks of free speech or hearing from people journalists dislike, they may retreat again. We will see. But um, I think that's very interesting uh, what's going on over on Mastodon because 
One of the things that I think we need more of is people talking with and to one another, irrespective of their politics. I think the worst thing in the world, and this is one of my great frustrations with cable news, with the notable exception of Michael Smirconish, is we see conservatives talking to conservatives, liberals talking to liberals, and there's no commingling. That's one of the things I try to do on this show, and I think we have a lot of fun with it, but we try and do it on this show. And the show that does it better than anybody is the Cats at Night show, where you have all those interesting combinations of people of different backgrounds, different ideologies. But what we were seeing with Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter is a lot of left-leaning people abandoning Twitter for other social media networks, namely Mastodon. Mastodon, which I'm not joining, this is a a pretty obscure, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's not quite a social media platform, but it sort of is. I don't even know. But Mastodon, where you saw a lot of left-leaning journalists flee to in fear of free speech, on Mastodon, they're already banning each other like crazy over the most trivial infractions. It's like a laboratory study, and I think it was Glenn Greenwald who said this. It's like a laboratory study to, uh, laboratory to study how censorship-happy rats behave. And you're seeing conservatives, they were migrating to the conservative social media sites like Rumble, Trump's website, Truth Social, and um, Getter, and a couple of other ones. But the president of Mexico, who they call... A-M-L-O. Beyond him, a whole bunch of world leaders who disliked President Trump, including Angela Merkel in Germany, Macron in France, EU officials, they all warned of the grave threats to democracy when big tech oligarchs can ban elected leaders like Donald Trump from being heard. And uh, I am pleased to see that uh, he's been unbanned. And, uh, you know, again, I think it says a lot about Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, that he praised this unbanning. It is so important to remember that Trump's banning by Twitter and Facebook was condemned all over the world. Only U.S. Trump haters and corporate journalists who just love censorship, only they cheered it. So um, I'm pleased to see this, that he's back. I think there's more to what meets the eye here. So Elon Musk tweets, the people have spoken. Trump will be reinstated. Vox Populi, Vox Day. Now, Trump was asked if he's going to start tweeting again. And so far he's saying no. He was purposefully vague about whether he'll return to Twitter. He posted on the competing platform, Truth Social, Don't worry, we aren't going anywhere. In a remote interview for the meeting of the Republican Jewish Coalition in Las Vegas, Trump said about returning to Twitter, quote, I don't see it because I don't see any reason for it. Twitter may make it. It may not make it. The problems are incredible. Truth Social has taken the place for a lot of people, and I don't see them going back to Twitter. So that's what President Trump said. Now, Trump is basically a partner in Truth Social, so he's got to deal with them. And um, he part of his deal is that anything he posts on social media has to go on Truth Social first and it has to stay up there for eight hours before he can post it to anywhere else. 
But with Trump running for president, I think he's going to start tweeting again because it's a numbers game. Do you know how many followers Trump has on Truth Social? 4.6 million. Sounds like a lot, right? 4.6 million. Do you know how many followers he has on Twitter? 83 million. 83 million. So think about it. If you're running for president and you're looking for votes, you're looking for media attention, and you're looking for campaign contributions, where are you going to be have a better chance of being seen and heard? It's the platform where you have 83 million followers, right? So I do think eventually Trump will start tweeting again. And I think he really just enjoyed Twitter. Um, what I think Elon Musk is doing is pretty brilliant. So Musk has seen users leave. Liberals are leaving for Mastodon. Conservatives are leaving, leaving for places like Truth Social. He's seen, perhaps much more importantly, advertisers leave. So what's he doing? He's making up the shortfall himself. He's having one of his other companies, SpaceX, start buying advertising on Twitter. It would be like if John Katzmatidis, for instance, who owns our radio station, if he had some of his other businesses start advertising on WABC because of all the advertiser exodus. Um, Elon Musk, I think, is convinced that Trump is in some ways the best thing for Twitter. Let's say there's four and a half, five million people on Truth Social. What's the best way to get them back on Twitter? It's to put Trump back on. And I think the high usage that Trump leads to with his 83 million followers, people that love him, people that hate him, people that are just interested in him, hanging on in his every tweet, that is going to leave advertisers. And I think this is what Musk is betting. I think Musk is thinking this increase in usage because of Trump is going to leave advertisers with no choice to return because Trump is going to boost engagement. But that only happens, obviously, if Trump starts tweeting. You know, if he continues to not do his thing on Twitter and does it only on Truth Social, and I'm not sure the strategy works. What do you think? 800-848-9222. The interesting thing about Trump's deal with Truth Social, this was very clever on the part of Trump or whoever crafted the deal. Remember, he wrote the art of the deal. Trump's deal with Truth Social as I said, requires him to post there first, but it has a carve-out for, quote, political messaging. Given that he's now running for president, one could argue that pretty much all his posts, or almost all his posts, maybe not if he's calling Meryl Streep underrated, but pretty much all his posts might be considered political messaging. So I'm curious how you think this all plays out. 800-848-9222. By the way, a story that broke right before we got on air, very interesting one. A major shakeup at Disney, the company. The struggling entertainment giant, Disney, has gotten rid of their CEO, and they are bringing back... Their former CEO, Bob Iger, I mean, that was quick. They jettisoned the CEO, uh, Bob Chapik, I think it was his name, and they lured Bob Iger back out of retirement. I mean, so things, they must have been pretty concerned over at Disney for them to go that route. 
My goodness. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, not everybody is as happy about um, Donald Trump's return to Twitter as I am and as the president of Mexico is. Scott Galloway, who is a business professor at New York University, where, in the interest of full disclosure, I am an alumnus of. Scott Galloway was on CBS's Face the Nation this morning talking about Musk's decision to restore President Trump to Twitter. I think if if Elon's out of the news for more than 48 hours, he'll decide to kick him off again. Uh, He said that the people had spoken in Latin. Uh, I found that this poll, you know, Elon Musk polls on Twitter are more for support than illumination. He ran a similar poll to see whether or not he should sell Tesla stock and it. It ended up he'd already filed to sell those shares. So I think these polls are mostly a gimmick. And I would argue the people haven't spoken. The GRU has spoken. These uh, Twitter has become... Russian intelligence, you mean? 100%. Twitter has become a playground for bad actors (sighs) and fake bots. This poll is meaningless. This decision is meaningless. Well, first of all, I I would agree it's an unscientific poll and that the poll is meaningless. I don't think the decision is meaningless. Additionally... Is it amazing to you, as it is to me, that you can find a way to blame the Russians for everything? Did you hear that? No evidence. No saying, No saying. oh, this is why the Russians have... I mean, come on. They're blaming... Clearly, this was an Elon Musk decision to bring back Trump. And yet, Scott Galloway, who actually is a smart guy, um, but he's blaming the Russians for this? I mean, come on. Please. All right, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. I, I got three things to say. Three. I'm ready. Number one, number one why why do you cut out the uh, the feed when you go to commercial uh, at the top of the hour and it's, it's silent? What's really the purpose of something like that? What do you mean cut out the feed? The, the phone goes silent. You, you can't hear the show. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. That's more of a technical question for uh, for uh, Matt Blaze. I, I I don't know. You anything you wanna you wanna add, Matt, in, in terms of um, at the top of the hour why uh, Neil can't hear programming when he's on hold? Because it's a network thing that there the, there's nothing playing through the board. We tell everybody this all the time that there's nothing. You got you. We tell them don't hang up because you're not going to hear anything. Gotcha. Because there's nothing. We're not playing anything. Well, why can't we play music so that at least they hear something? Can we play music? Do we have that? We could do that. Yeah, let's in do fact, that. In fact, I, that was something I wanted to bring up at the uh, meeting. Oh. As a matter All right, see that? See, we're having a, it's a live see? live game meeting discussion on the air. All right, so let's do that. Can we do that? We can do that. See, that? there you go, Neil. You have uh, talked yourself into some music. Given Matt Blaze's musical uh, preferences, this might be something you live to regret. Music and and the news. You don't you don't hear the news either. I got to put the radio well. No, you on, still you won't. Know? You still won't hear the news again. Again, not to repeat Matt's decision because we're feeding all the network stations. You know, so you, you're still not going to hear the news. Uh, but um, you know, you got to turn on your radio for that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Number two, Frank. When you were talking to Bernie Getz, you know, you mentioned the the vasectomies for the deer in Staten Island, uh, and he's talking about uh, neutering the bears. There's, there's a vast difference. I mean, nobody's being killed by the deer, but no matter what you do to a to a bear, whether you uh, give it a uh, castrated or whatever, the bear is still going to be dangerous when it comes to every human, especially if there's cubs around. So that's why you have you have to call the herd. 
Yeah, hey, uh, you know, Bernie acknowledged that, that there has to be some sort of population control, Neil. So that's a fair point. Can't uh, can't disagree with that. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Hey, we're talking about all these presidents. One of them had an 80th birthday on Sunday. Um, that, of course, is President Biden. One is coming back to Twitter. At least he's authorized to come back to Twitter. That's President Trump. But we have been getting regular updates from Charlie, who apparently is a medium, on the spirit of George Washington. Charlie, uh, does George Washington have anything to say about President Trump's return to Twitter? Uh, Yes, Frank, Uh, quite exactly. Uh, I did this medium work before I got on the air instead of uh, Mm -hmm. doing it, but it pertains exactly. Anyway, he mentioned two things, two basic things. Freedom of the press and freedom of religion, or freedom of speech and freedom of religion. So uh, I feel that uh, what you're saying about the Donald Trump issue is exactly uh, freedom of speech. Okay, good. So, and, and, well, what does George Washington say? I mean, I am interested in your opinion, but much more interested in George Washington. Okay, well, I got to tell you, Frank, I, I, I got to ask you one question first. Uh, did you happen to listen to. Uh, Curtis Lee's show last night? I'm not familiar with him. Okay, okay. I got to tell you that I was told before doing more medium work, I had to mention one of my credentials. Okay. Now, I did mention it last night on uh, Curtis Lee's show, but I, I got to mention it again to you, Frank. No, no, you don't. Charlie, just, just give us the latest on George Washington because we want to try and get no, to some but other I, I got to explain, Frank. Uh, I am required according to my religion. Okay. To mention this. Okay, go ahead. Can you do it quickly? Though? So it is that important. Uh, and I, I, you might have, you might realize that I worship the great goddess Mother Nature. Right, you mentioned that. Right. Okay, that's, uh, a message from her is that she should mention my uh, religious standing. And what it is, uh, is I'm uh, rated a, uh, a warlock in the Wiccan religion. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Okay, thank you. I just didn't. I don't know why I'm upset you. I just was just supposed to mention it. I won't make a big deal out of it. But uh, I was supposed to mention it. And uh, according to that uh, assignment that I was given, I was, there's two things that uh, the guys had asked me to mention to you tonight, in addition to the George Washington information. Now, the two things are the five basic evils in life. And the second thing is the hierarchy of, of all the uh, creatures in life. All right. So um, at some point, will we hear what George Washington had to say? Well, the point is, uh, I wasn't, uh, I'll explain this to you why I'm not giving you more George Washington than that. Because actually, George Washington, he was able to uh, mention these two things. But uh, due to the fighting that actually goes on in the spirit world, George Washington was actually mostly kind of uh, emotional when I was talking to him. Okay. Well, so he was not happy with the fight. It was the Jefferson and, and Adams feud all over again? Uh, well, his, the feud that he was fighting was actually – there were uh, – uh, the one basic one, I, I guess I'll mention it, uh, is the fight between the uh, uh, democracy and the communists. 
All right. Well, I mean, I, I would have thought he'd be fighting with the ghost of King George. Charlie, thank you. I appreciate the uh, the update. Not one of your better updates, I have to be honest. But uh, that's okay. I mean, I guess, look, you can't control what the spirits say. Sometimes it's interesting information. Sometimes it's not. The good news for you is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven open lines if you want to comment on uh, anything we're talking about, including what I think is a pretty blockbuster announcement, the fact that uh, Elon Musk has freed Donald Trump from Twitter. I'm curious if you think, if you view this as Musk making a business decision, which is him wanting the eyeballs through the Trump engagement. What do you think? 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's an interesting situation. Um, I, since I was a teenager, have suffered from uh, razor bumps. There's a technical name for razor bumps. I I think it's called pseudophilitis or something. Uh, Basically, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, pseudofolliculitis barbae. That's the technical name. But basically what it is, and I think if you get these, you're you're familiar with it. When you shave, you get bumps in the area that you shave. It generally affects black men and men with super curly hair. And uh, basically, if you have hair like an afro that grows up, which is what my hair does, I have hair like a black man, um, usually. I mean, there are white people that have hair like me, but I think it's much more common in black men. Um, I guess if I ever did one of these DNA tests, maybe there would be some surprises for me. Who knows? But um, I point is, I shave, I get these razor bumps. So for years, I've used a special razor and a special aftershave and a special shaving cream to minimize that. And for the most part, it works pretty well. Now, the razor blade that I have used the most is something called the bump fighter. And there's two different types of the bump fighter. There's the one where you just replace the blade itself. You keep the razor and you just replace the blade itself. And then there's the disposable. And I've found that the disposable, you know, the disposable bump fighter razor is a much better shave. It gets a little closer. The the one where you replace the blade on the, I don't know, whatever, the shaver itself, 
it doesn't do as good of a job. It basically just trims your existing hairs. But it's an interesting thing. I have noticed that over the last couple of years, the bump fighter has been increasingly more difficult to find both versions. So whenever I see them, either one, either the disposables, which are my preferred, or the refill refillable cartridges for the, um, you know, the rate the shaver itself, I always buy as many as I could find. But I haven't been seeing them in drugstores. I haven't been seeing them online. I don't know if there's some sort of a supply interruption or they're making them less or whatever the case may be. So anyway, I thought I had some some somewhere. I couldn't find anywhere in my house. None. So I have been using this old bump fighter razor blade, which, again, these bump fighter razor blades, they don't do a good job shaving even when they're at their optimum. But when it's super dull because it's old and been used, it does an even worse job. And I also use an electric shaver. And those of you that have tried an electric shaver, I think you know they don't really work well either in terms of giving you something of a close shave. That's why it's better if you have razor bumps to use an electric shaver. But it, it doesn't do much, at least I've found, in terms of actually removing hair from your face. So anyway, I have been dealing with essentially a perpetual beard for five days. And yesterday or Saturday, I had to go to a confirmation. And I went looking like something out of the House of David with this this gruff. Now, a little bit of gruff, I don't mind necessarily because, you know, I'm a pretty mild-mannered guy, you know, not exactly a ruffian. But a little gruff can make you look a little tough, right? Like a night to be trifled with. Then... Uh, again, even though I'm using what's left of my bump fighter, and I've been waiting. I ordered not a bump fighter, but what they say is a good razor for sensitive skin. I ordered it online. It was supposed to arrive on Thursday. And I keep running to the mail because we get a lot of packages. I keep running whenever the mail comes, hope ripping open one of these packages, hoping that the razor blades will be within them. None Thursday, none Friday, none Saturday, none Sunday. We got packages each of those days, no razor blades. So then Sunday, I was going, we did sort of a, a Thanksgiving at uh, my dad's because we're not going to be together on Thursday. And I, um, I, I was, would have liked to have shown up to family dinner somewhat clean shaven. Couldn't do that. And then I had to go to a wake Sunday night, my friend John Maringolo's wake. And I, I feel like such a slob, I have to tell you. So when I was at dinner on, uh, on Sunday, my dad asked me, he said, oh, are you doing the no-shave November? Are you doing Movember? And he assumes, obviously, because I was friends with Bernard McGurk, and Bernard McGurk passed away from prostate cancer, and I've done Movember before, he assumed that's what I'm doing. I said, no, I had a problem just getting razor blades. So what I decided to do is to just essentially, until my razor blades come, just pretend I'm doing Movember. Just pretend I'm doing No Shave November to raise awareness for prostate cancer. So what I did right before the show is I made a donation to Movember. Movember is a charity that aims to change the face of men's health on a global scale, focusing on mental health, suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. And they say that the donations to Movember 
help fund world-class programs that save and improve the lives of men. So I did make a donation, and uh, since I'm running around looking all slovenly wearing a a beard, a makeshift beard, not by choice, I'm going to urge you to join me in making a donation as well because this is the month that they really – rely on your donations to fund the work they do for the whole rest of the year. If you want to make a donation, go to us.movember. It's like November with an M, us.movember.com. And you can learn more about what they do, and you could donate on there if you want to make a donation in honor of me not being able to shave. Uh, now, hopefully, I just checked the status of this razor blade. Hopefully, it's going to arrive tomorrow. But uh, it can't can't come a moment too soon from my perspective. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. David is in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hello, David. Hey, how are you? I'm hanging in there, David. Thanks. Hey, so I'm calling in because I I loved your comment about Disney, but this is a little bit of deja vu all over again. You know, when you have a great CEO like Bob Iger coming out and retiring, and then you have to follow him, it's always tough to follow a good mm-hmm. act. But I mm-hmm. think Bob is coming back partially because he's responsible for this failure of the new CEO because he was his hand-picked successor, but also because Bob has a lot of options. He has money on the table here, and that's what he's coming back for, a combination of the two. And this is a rerun. If you go back and look, it's always tough in a lot of – look what happened to GE, right? Right, right. Right. Jack Welch went out. There were four guys that were left. All of them blew up. And basically, GE suffered, what, 10 years of declining stock price and performance, and now they're going to break the company up. The best model you can look at for Disney is, number one, you have to applaud the board, because what did they do? They intervened. They saw this. But the other model for this was Procter & Gamble. They went through the same thing. You had a phenomenal CEO like A.G. Lafley who came in, grew the company, globalized it, bought Gillette, since you were talking about your shaving issue, right? And then he was followed by a guy named Bob McDonald, who became the uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, who only lasted about 18 months. And it just goes to show that finding great leaders for these big companies is really a difficult thing. No, it's a great point that you make. Let me ask you this since you mentioned that. Um, You know, at WABC, a flagship station in New York, there was a program director here, sort of a legendary program director, and he was kind of done. He needed a little bit of a break. And he basically, I believe, recommended someone for the job that he knew wouldn't necessarily be up for the job. She did the job. And these are all friends of mine, so I don't want to insult anybody. But she didn't last very long. She lasted about a year and a half, maybe two years. And then that guy came back after that. And he's never said this to me, but the speculation was that he recommended a replacement that would be only okay so that he could look like the savior and come back and rescue the radio station. Do you think that might have been a little of what went on here with Bob Iger? Um, No, no way. Hey, Bob has worked his butt off. Remember, he succeeded. I mean, I don't know how much history you know, and, you know, I just watch, I watch all these companies. I'm a big, you know, kind of, um, what do I want to say? Observer of leadership and leadership development. You know, he followed Michael Eisner, right? And right. Michael Eisner was the guy who saved Disney, right? After Walt died, and then they had all these interim things, they were falling apart. But Michael was a little bit of a megalomaniac, 
and he built it. So do I think he doesn't? No, I don't think Bob Iger wanted to come back from retirement. Interesting. The board, I, I'm betting you dimes to dollars that the board looked at him and said, hey, Bob, this is the guy you recommended. We believe in him because we believe in you. And this isn't working out. And in a nice way, they said, you know, this is your, this is part of your legacy. I think they tried just, you know, I think they tried, I think GE's board probably tried the same thing with Jack Welch and Jack was like, no, I'm tired. And, you know, whatever. And kind of let happen to GE what he did. So I applaud the board for being so proactive because this guy, think about how he started out. He started out taking on the state of Florida and getting into all these right. political and social issues, which is I'm, companies have to be socially responsible, but they don't have to go as far as he went. And so he, he, I think he lost confidence of the employees first and then the shareholders and then his operations people. It's like anything. Look, you're lucky. John Katsimatidis is a phenomenal leader. He's a phenomenal leader. The real question would be like for WABC and Big Apple or Red Apple, whatever it is, who's going to succeed him? Yeah. That's going to be a tough act to follow. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully it's not a question any of us face for a long, long time, uh, David. But hey, a great call. Very thoughtful. I appreciate the call very much. So Friday, I was beat from a lengthy week. And uh, my wife and I, we um, stayed in Friday night because we had a lengthy weekend of running around. And, um, you know, obviously Carmine was home, so we stayed home with Carmine, put him to bed, and we found ourselves with a free 90 minutes to two hours. So we decided to watch a motion picture. And uh, it's funny. I, I was researching... Because there are some things on my Netflix, whatever you call it, my your list. And I'm not sure how they ended up there. I'm not sure why I ended up putting these things on there. Some t- usually it's because they have an award nomination or an actor that I like or a director that I like, whatever the case. But I looked up recently, because my wife really likes comedies. And I looked up recently what the best comedies were. On Netflix right now, the funniest things on Netflix right now. And sure enough, I looked through this list and I had put on all these films in my Netflix queue. So I must have put all these films that I'm wondering how they got on there because they were on these lists of the funniest things that are on Netflix right now. So anyway, one of the films that fits this description is a film called, it's about six years old called The Nice Guys. Have you heard about this? I don't remember hearing about this, uh, but it had two very big stars in the leading roles, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, and then some other very prominent people in supporting roles, people like Kim Basinger. And I have to tell you, we both watched it. I think she had actually seen it before, but she didn't remember it. We both enjoyed it immensely. It takes place in the 1970s. It's a comedy. It's like an action comedy, but it's a buddy picture. It's really an old-school buddy picture. Ryan Gosling is a private detective. Russell Crowe is kind of a tough guy, almost a private investigator. And the two of them team up to investigate uh, the disappearance of a teenage girl. And it's really so interesting. And it was pretty funny. I must say, and uh, so if you're interested in kind of a fun comedy, and it's not a mindless comedy at all, like a lot of buddy picture action comedies are, you actually have to think a little bit. There's a little bit of an element of uh, of mystery to it. 
I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's called The Nice Guys. It's available on Netflix. It reminded me of an old school buddy picture. And uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was really well made. And I thought it was pretty well written. And I thought it was, um, you know, is it a perfect film? No. But uh, I thought it was really, really interesting. Here's a trailer to The Nice Guys, if you're interested. Who is it? Messenger service. March, we're going to play a game. I think you have the wrong house. It's called Shut Up Unless You're Me. I love that game. You're a private investigator? Just 20 bucks in there, all right? Just take it. No, I told you. I'm not here for that. My messenger. Give me your lift, Carl. No! Yeah, come on. No! When you're talking to your doctor, no! you tell him you have a spiral fracture. No! Deep breath. No! I'm not in the yellow pages. If you got trouble with someone, you might ask around for me, Jackson Healy. I work for the Department of Justice. My daughter, Amelia, is in danger. Please find her, protect her. March, Jack Healy. I'm not here to hurt you, so I'm to ask you a question. No. How stupid do you think I am? I got a license to carry, dumbass. And ever since your little visit, this little baby's gonna stay right here. There's a couple of people I trust say you're pretty good at this. I want you to find Amelia. You're the guy who beat up my dad. Sucker punched your dad. So I thought it was really good, and uh, and so did Rachel. So we enjoyed it. If you want to check it out again, it's six years old, but uh, it was fun. It was a fun film, and I got to tell you, I'm very impressed with both of these actors, both uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Uh, they've been in a bunch of pictures that I really enjoyed. And I thought they were terrific in this film. It's got a very good, I was just checking what other people have said about it. It holds a 91% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So apparently I'm not the only one that uh, that enjoys this film. So I, I did tell you this last week. I'm on my biking quest now. So I've been trying to add a mile to my biking every day. So I did eight miles on uh, Friday. And then I did nine miles on Sunday. So one of the things that has led to, and I didn't do anything on, um, no, I did eight, eight on Friday, nine on Saturday. I didn't do anything on Sunday because it was such a busy day. We had all this running around, and I, I still had to work on the show. And uh, Rachel says, all right, you're not going to have time to run run 10 miles, so I'm going to do my 10 miles today, hopefully. And I, honestly, I feel like my legs could probably have used a rest because they seemed a little fatigued. But one of the things that that has happened, because I've been biking a lot more is I've been able to catch up on a lot of radio listening, a lot of podcast listening and some television viewing. So I've been watching television programs and sometimes Rachel and I will watch something together, but I've been watching a lot of shows that she doesn't have an interest in. So some Star Trek, for instance, but one of the things that I've been really meaning to get around to, is season two of the A&E biography series on the WWE Legends. Now, I really enjoyed season one. I saw all the episodes from season one. I thought most of them were really well done. Basically, what this is, is A&E, they do these little mini documentaries on a whole bunch of people. And they've done it on music people, politicians, gangsters, and they did a whole very successful season on wrestlers, pro wrestling superstars. And the first season included people like uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, Shawn Michaels, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Mick Foley, 
really well done. Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, a bunch of other folks, and The Ultimate Warrior. And so I was really looking forward to season two, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. So I had watched, I had started over the summer. This is how long it takes me to watch something. So I had started over the summer watching the first episode on The Undertaker. And that was really well done. And he's such an interesting guy. But I saw on Saturday, Friday or Saturday, I saw the episode that they had done on Goldberg. His Christian name, of course, well, not a Christian because he's Jewish, his, his proper name is Bill Goldberg. And if you were a wrestling fan in the mid to late 90s, you're really familiar with him. Goldberg was uh, very much a phenom. He had um, been a football player, and then he kind of came out of nowhere. Most wrestlers become uh, wrestlers around the time they're 20. They work their way through the ranks, uh, performing in small arenas, performing in gymnasiums, not getting paid, uh, spend a long time in training, have to go on the road. Goldberg did not follow, and we talked about this when we discussed the Goldberg-Roman Reigns match a few months ago, but Goldberg did not follow the typical wrestling career trajectory. He'd been in the NFL. He played professional football in other places. And then he came to the world of pro wrestling and he got what they call a push right away, meaning he did not have to work his way up through the ranks. He had a lengthy undefeated streak. He went from he and all his matches were very short. And so you couldn't say Goldberg had a lot of wrestling ability. He, he was not a good wrestler. But you know what? Honestly, neither was Hulk Hogan. But like Hogan. There was something about Goldberg that he had a great presence. He One, he had an incredible physique. You look at this guy, and he, the, the Bobby Heenan would say of Goldberg, he has muscles in places that most people don't even have places, right? I mean, and, and it was true in Goldberg's case. You'd look at his neck, and you'd say, my goodness, how does somebody have muscles there? But he also, he would come out, he would do this incredibly elaborate entrance, with pyrotechnics, and he'd be breathing smoke. Really, so um, very a lot of theater, and then he'd win these matches in five or six minutes. Now, obviously, that becomes a very difficult thing to sustain if you're telling the story to the public that this guy is so incredible that he's destroying all of his opponents in three or four minutes. Then, when you're the world champion. You're not facing guys like Hugh Morris and Dick Disco Inferno. You're facing some of the best wrestlers in the world. So it was a very, it was it was a, an idea and a gimmick that had a very good run. And you know we're going to talk with J.J. Dillon hopefully on this show sometime soon, and we'll ask him about Goldberg's run. But it was almost doomed to fail for that reason. Now, on the one hand, how do you not make the guy the world champion when he's got 40,000 fans screaming every time he, he grunts? But then when you're the world champion, no one's going to believe that this guy who clearly doesn't know how to wrestle can beat some of the best wrestlers in the world. It, 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 it defies credibility. So um, this... And and that was really the thing that I came away with with this documentary. And I have to tell you, if you're a wrestling fan or a football fan, 
or just a fan of human nature, I would really encourage you to watch it because it was really well done. It was really well produced. I learned a lot. And to me, those are the best documentaries when you can learn something about a subject that you thought you knew a lot about. Like a, a Ken Burns does that very well. The I thought I knew a lot about Theodore Roosevelt. I watched the Ken Burns documentary on the Roosevelts. I realized I knew nothing about Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, same thing with the O.J. documentary and a bunch of others. But this was really well done. And you really learn how, unlike a lot of people that rise to Goldberg's level of success in pro wrestling, Goldberg never really had an interest in wrestling. He was not a wrestling fan, ever, ever. This was something he kind of just fell into. Unlike most other wrestlers that grow up watching the sport, revering the sport. And um, you get into kind of Goldberg's frustrations with wrestling and wrestling fans' frustrations with Goldberg. And one of the things they cover in the documentary is that history has not been kind to Goldberg. And one of the reasons for that is he was in a match with Bret Hart. Now, Bret Hart was a wonderful technical wrestler. Is he as good as he says? Eh, that's debatable, I guess, right? But a wonderful technical wrestler. And as far as wrestling books goes, his book is has still not been returned to me by Ray Ramundi, my former colleague. But it's one of the best books written by a wrestler that I've ever read. Bret Hart was on uh, StarCast, uh, which is a YouTube page, last year talking about this match that he had with Goldberg, where Goldberg kicked him in the head, which you're not supposed to do, obviously. And... Gave him a concussion, ended his career. You know, the, when Bill Goldberg kicked me in the head, I, honest to God, I lost um, about $16 million in like one second. Um, it's like all the money, all the contract money that I had. I just signed with WCW for $3 million a year for another three years on top of the two years that I had left on my original contract. So it was, it was bad timing and it was unfortunate. And I know Bill never did it on purpose, but um, I think that's why a few months ago I was as stiff as I was about um, Seth Rollins hurting guys in the ring. Is it? Yeah. To be honest, if, in pro wrestling, injuries do happen. And there's always going to be uh, uh, injuries and things that happen from unexpected things. But it's not about hurting each other. You know, it's about, like I said, it's more like figure skating. If you can't go out there and figure skate with me, don't work with me. So because Goldberg wasn't able to figure skate well, not just with Bret Hart, but with a couple other people, that has hurt his reputation with a lot of wrestling fans. But I did come across, I did come away liking him more after seeing some of his motivations for doing certain things. And it provides a lot of context for his whole journey, not just as a wrestler or a football player, but just in life. So I thought it was really uh, well done. You want to comment, you can, 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, Matt Blaze, did you see it? Did you watch this? No, I haven't watched it yet. Um, I want to watch it. Did you watch, watch the it. first season of the uh, WWE? I saw Legend? Pipers. Piper, I didn't watch them all. Yeah, I watched Pipers. I, I never liked Goldberg as a wrestler because mm-hmm. of the whole, that he didn't come up through wrestling. He did it for the money. He had the look. The streak went on way too long. That was, like you said, the gimmick. And the fact that he did hurt other people beside Bret Hart. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And because no, he, he was so green and never yeah. learned how to no, wrestle. And again, they put him in almost an unfair position, right? I mean, it's almost – and I've seen this happen in radio. You know where this happened in radio? With David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth, they put him in to take over for Howard Stern. Here, a lot of people know who you are. You're kind of an interesting guy. 
Here, take over for the most listened to talk show hosts in history and one of the most talented ever. Go ahead. That's what they did uh, with David Lee Roth. It happens in every profession, right? And uh, I I thought it was interesting, um, and I I think they put him in a very unfair position. But um, as as we said at the time of that Roman Reigns match, Goldberg was one of the few homegrown WCW superstars. You really have Goldberg, you have Diamond Dallas Page, and that's really kind of it. Everybody else made their career elsewhere and then did well in WCW. But WCW, they created Goldberg and Diamond Dallas Page. All right, 800-848-9222. I do recommend that, especially if you're a wrestling fan. Uh, This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina, Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina, Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina, Mr. Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina, 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 Mr. This is uh, Mr. Dabalina from Dell, the funky homo sapien. And uh, according to Matt Blake, there, uh, Eminem, who was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Gave a shout-out to this artist. Is that accurate, Matt? That is accurate. So Eminem went through the list of his influences in alphabetical order, and there was a lot of them, but he did shout-out Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, since we rediscovered this song, it has developed just a resurgence in popularity like you wouldn't believe. So uh, I have to tell you, um, the jig is up for me. Here's what I mean. If you want to talk about a cesspool of negativity, a cauldron of negativity, you need only to spend a day in the Facebook group. The Facebook group is Morano Radio Fans and Haters. And I am encouraging if you're a nice person and not mean and not rushing to criticize others. I don't care if you criticize me. It makes no difference. I actually find it pretty entertaining. But I really do get upset when people pick on one another. But please join the um, the group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. You could just go Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Here's what I've noticed. First of all, 80% of the comments on this page, on this group, I should say, are critical of Everything having to do with this show, especially me and everybody else that's on the show, every guest, every subject, 
every way I handle a subject. Frank talks too much about UFOs. Frank doesn't talk enough about UFOs. Frank shouldn't have this person on, shouldn't have that person on. Frank's show used to be good. Now it's bad. Frank's show is too New York. Frank's show is too national. Uh, it, it, there's, And I don't mind the criticism at me. But I do have to tell you, the criticism of one another, I, I, and I don't understand how these people listen to this show because I spend so much time talking about civility and engaging in civil discourse with people, and yet these folks are the slightest disagreement doesn't matter whether you talk in Ukraine or music. They're ready to tear each other's heads off. So if you're interested in a civil discourse, I'd encourage you to join the Facebook group. And I, I got this very sad email from Noemi, one of our great French listeners. She has decided to leave the Facebook group. She says, I just don't want to mess with people every time I post something. I don't run away from people, but this negativity, interest only in political issues and attacks, finally... Uh, she says, I'm still going to listen to you, but she doesn't want to engage. I think this is such a shame because Noemi, Noemi was such a great person and exactly the kind of listener we want all over the world. She did so much research and hard work before coming to her trip to New York. And I think it was great that she had a differing political view than a lot of the other people in the group. That's what I want. And I think sometimes she might have been misinterpreted because of the language barrier, but that is such a shame. And... I'm going to read you some of these comments about me in just a minute. We also have commendations coming up. Meantime, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. We're going to get to commendations in just a minute. I just want to finish my thought on the um, Facebook group, which is a hotbed of negativity. You know what I've noticed? There's a couple of people that post nice things, what I consider productive things, questions, things that I think will further the conversation, right? Uh, Ellen Metzger, obviously, is terrific. Obi Murray is terrific. Uh, Jeff Schilling is pretty good. Uh, Joel Ryder is pretty good. There's a bunch of other folks that are pretty good. My, my greatest frustration is people that post irrelevant things, things that we aren't really talking about. But I've noticed whenever anybody posts anything negative, that then becomes a magnet and an invitation for people to promote, pro- post all sorts of negative things. So the guy that won the $1,000 minute last week He posted about how I won the $1,000 minute contest last Monday, have yet to hear from the promotions department about when I'll receive my $1,000. I've already emailed my winner's declaration document, signed, filled out, dated, scanned, but have yet to receive my release form and W-9 form from the station management. Now, all I'm thinking is, one, does he really think this is the best way to, and calling Curtis, which he did over the weekend, which I can assure you that little bit that Curtis did on the radio, that did not go over well with our boss. Uh, I can promise you that. And I, I don't think uh, Curtis's explanation of this being theater of the mind w- was helpful at all to Curtis's cause on that. I can tell you, John Katzmanditi is not at all happy with Curtis this weekend about that. Um, but basically, you know, John emails me in response to this guy, you know, going on his rant with Curtis. He says, if this guy won, of course we're going to get 
get him paid. What's the problem? And I just don't understand where people's heads are at that they think this is the best way to handle this. Now, um, but so this guy posts this comment. And then somebody else writes, a fellow, um, uh, if this is his real name, I don't even know if his name, Benedetto, writes this. That contest is as phony as Frank Moron. He is a minister to reap the benefits of tax evasion. Universal Life Church was a big scam in the 70s and 80s. I don't listen anymore. He's always trying to promote anything he can make a personal profit on. Wake up, John Katzmatidis. Misspelled, by the way. Mr. Moron, that's me, will cost you. Now, a couple of things. One, I don't make a personal profit on anything. I don't get any tax benefits from being a universal life church minister. The only thing I can do is marry people. But every product that we advertise, anything else that I've ever promoted, this is the God's honest truth. I've never made a nickel from any of that. None. I I wish I did at times. But believe me, I have not. But the thing that I am just amazed by is this guy took the other fella complaining about the contest as an invitation to just have a random Frank moron rant. Now, that's fine. So it reminded me, back when I was starting out in politics, there was a a website that covered local politics. And they didn't like me on this, this forum. And so people would comment on me negatively. And then all sorts of other people would comment about, oh, Frank does this. So I had friends that would also do this. And he, I, I had one friend, Craig, my friend Craig Simonetti. He did this brilliantly. He, whatever I'd be proposing, let's say I did a press conference or something, or I endorsed this candidate, or I came out with this proposal, whatever. Craig would pretend like he was agreeing with the Frank critics and then say, he would basically start all of his comments saying, yeah, I hate that Frank Morano, but he's right on this one, bah, 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 and explain why I'm right. So he would develop this very clever ruse where he would let the Frank critics know that he's one of them, but then he would agree with whatever I was saying. So maybe this Facebook algorithm just rewards negativity. And maybe that's what people need to do. If you have something, first of all, I wish there would be more people saying nice things, not about me. I'm just happy that you're listening, but about each other, you know. Um, and you, you know, you want a you want a textbook course in how to engage with someone civilly. Look at the conversation that Ellen had with, um, I believe it was Joel uh, or uh, Jeff on the Dave Chappelle situation. They're they're respectful of one another. They both have lots of facts. They both clearly have strong opinions, but they're interested in engaging with the other person's opinion. No one's calling anybody a name. And yet you compare that to some of these other discussions. You deviate one iota from the neocon position on Ukraine, and they're willing to, they're quick to call you a Russian, uh, a Russian agent. So... Yeah, it was Jeff Schilling that uh, he was in that discussion with with Ellen. That was a nice, respectful conversation. So I'd love more of that. But in the absence of that, maybe the thing to do is the next negative thing that anybody says about me, and we won't have to – oh, look, one person said uh, that I'm insulting everyone's intelligence by talking to Charlie from – 
Chester about George Washington, right? What about commenting on that? Say, yeah, that Frank is horrible, but a great aspect of the show is blank. This way that you can use that Craig Simonetti methodology to say something kind of nice, right? Give it a try. Maybe that's a way to fool the algorithm. Because sure enough, Obi was trying to say something nice. He was away in Puerto Rico and Florida, and he was trying to say, hey, what did I miss? Anything good? Now, that's a nice open-ended question. People could say this. They could say they missed that. And there were very few comments. This one guy complaining about the uh, $1,000 minute, which he just won last week, there's 45 comments. So whatever. I'm convinced that if I was not on the radio, I don't think I would not be on any form of social media. I do like Twitter because I view Twitter almost as a newspaper because I follow all the news sources that I want to read, everything that I want to know, follow all the newsmakers that I'm interested in, and I kind of curate my own version of a newspaper. But aside from that, I think there's something about social media, and we've covered this before. It just makes people into jerks. Not every person, because for every um, for every Barb Pace, there's an Ellen Metzger. But far too many of them. I really, I just don't understand. These are probably very nice people in real life. But when it, they, you put a Facebook page in front of them, they become jerks. I just don't get it. But uh, and and, uh, honestly, making moderation decisions, because you have no idea how often these people try to report one another uh, for conduct that they say violates this rule or that rule. I have a whole new appreciation. This is me managing thirty one hundred people. Can you imagine managing a hundred million people, which is what Elon Musk has to do? I have a whole new appreciation for the moderation teams at all these social media sites. Because what do you allow? What do you not allow? It's very, very difficult to know because you don't want to make it um, so that people can post anything because if they start picking on one another and uh, saying things that are irrelevant, then all of a sudden people leave. They don't want, like Noemi, right? She got tired every time she gave her opinion, jumping down, uh, having people criticize her. My wife left. You know, Juliet Huddy, I think, was a member of this group for one day. One day. That's what, that's what happens. This negativity drives the good people away. So you want to allow criticism, but you don't want to necessarily have it just be this uh, hate-filled graffiti board. So um, if you want to participate and be part of the solution, not the problem, go ahead and join. Morano Radio fans and haters. But, again, you're welcome to say whatever you want about me. Because you know what all these people have in common? They're all listening. And the ratings are a reflection of that. Um, All right. Without further ado, there are certain people that have engaged in commendable behavior. And quite a few. This was a good week going into the holidays in which we have a lot of folks worthy of some praise, including... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Let me begin with my friend Beth DeFalco. She is now the Deputy Commissioner for Public Affairs at the New York City Department of Environmental Protection. She was formerly the Managing Director at Tusk Strategies. She's terrific. I've interviewed her many times uh, over the years on radio and on television. She's very photogenic, so I've put her on television more, and she doesn't love these overnight hours, so she hasn't come on this show that often. But she's really wonderful. She's one of the most intelligent people. I was following Beth DeFalco from her time as a New York Post reporter, And then she became sort of a Democratic political strategist, and now she's going to be the deputy commissioner for um, 
the DEP. And I think it's a great choice and a big win for the DEP and the people of the city of New York. But I'm very happy for Beth DeFalco, and I do commend her. I must also give a commendation to Buck Showalter. That's right. National League Manager of the Year. This is the fourth time Buck Showalter has been named Manager of the Year. No one has won more Manager of the Year awards than Buck Showalter. This puts him uh, in a tie with Bobby Cox and Tony LaRussa for the most Manager of the Year awards in history. Now, Buck Showalter, obviously, I think he did a great job with the Mets this season, and I'm very proud to be a Met fan. I think his leadership of the Mets, in spite of what happened in the playoffs, was just wonderful. But Showalter is the only manager to win the award with four different franchises. That is incredible. He won it with the Yankees, won it with the Rangers, won it with the Orioles, and now... He's won it with the Mets. And he's he and Yogi Berra are the only managers to guide both the Mets and the Yankees to the playoffs. So I think this is great. And I think this is great. I want to give a commendation to Youssef Shah. Youssef Shah is 11 years old. 11 years old. He's smarter than, than you are. Guarantee it. He might not be smarter than Mike, who won that $1,000 minute. He's smarter than everybody else listening. He's a schoolboy in the UK. And sure enough, he has scored the highest possible score on the Mensa test, beating Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking. So when he got the good news, he celebrated with a family meal at Nando's. He registered a 162 IQ or on the, uh, 162 on the Mensa test. That is the maximum score for someone under the age of 18 and in the top percent of all people. Hawking had a score of 160. And this young man, very bright boy, he said his friends at school are always telling him he's very smart and he wanted to test that by taking this IQ test. And to celebrate the achievement, he went out for a nice meal with his parents and his two younger brothers. He's hoping to study math at Cambridge or Oxford and said he loves doing anything that stimulates his brain. What does he do when he's not studying? The math whiz enjoys Sudoku and Rubik's Cubes. And uh, he is a whiz at both. So he's the first person to take the Mensa test in his family, and he did great. Hit it out of the park. That's wonderful. Congratulations to Yusef Saab. We only have one name for this person, but I want to commend... A Domino's pizza worker in Australia, Queensland, Australia. Big shout out to Juliana who listens in Australia every day. A Domino's pizza worker who displayed an act of kindness after a birthday girl's friends didn't show up for her party. So um, the pizza, pizza shop Domino's in Australia received a call last month from a mom hoping to cancel a large order she had placed since a number of her daughter's peers hadn't turned up to her birthday party. And after sharing her story, Miles, the store's shift supervisor, who took the call, he decided to surprise this woman's daughter with a special treat that could cheer her up. So um, 
he wanted to do something nice for this girl who nobody came to her party. So when she arrived at the store to collect her one pizza, Miles surprised her with a custom chocolate dessert pizza topped with churros and brownies. And um, he said that the gesture, he shared it on social media, was only something small, but was pleased to know that his team was able to turn her day around and make her feel special. And Domino's Australia did thank Miles, and they said, thank you, Miles, for going the extra mile to help turn this customer's day around. That's really nice. I don't understand why people would confirm that they were coming to a party and then not come. Um, So I feel bad for that girl, but I'm glad that this guy, Miles, came through for her. I want to commend Brian Siliakos. This is an incredible guy. This is a guy that I wish I was more like, especially as a young man. Turning 30 can be daunting. But this guy is doing it right. After his 29th birthday, Mr. Siliakos tried to take an uplifting approach. And he wanted to do 30 complete acts of kindness. He wanted to complete 30 acts of kindness by the time he turned 30. They called it the 30 Acts by 30 Challenge, where he hopes to support essential workers across a wide range of fields. So what he did, this fellow lives in California, he surprised 118 animal shelter workers with self-care packages in order to complete this. So he used his charisma to get companies to chip in and... He was able to donate $12,000 worth of goods to these animal workers in San Francisco. This is incredible. I mean, this is great. Just for like a random act of kindness for these people he doesn't know. I love this guy. Uh, Brian Siliakos, I do commend you. And I also must commend Essie Collier. Essie Collier is a nine-year-old elementary school student in Wisconsin. Racine, Wisconsin, like the team... In uh, a league of their own, not the not the one that Gina Davis plays for, but the one her sister was traded to. This, a nine-year-old elementary school student probably saved the life of her classmate by performing the Heimlich maneuver on her as she choked on food. Essie Collier is a fourth grader. She noticed one of her classmates was in distress during lunch. Students were eating in the classroom because the lunchroom had been cleared out so residents could vote. It was election day. And so she sees that this girl, her classmate, is holding her neck. So Essie rushes up as fast as she could. And she wrapped her arms around the student and began performing the Heimlich. Her classmate's airway was cleared, and within seconds, the girl was breathing fine. The teacher said, I've never seen a student react in that way before. I'd say a quick thinking and a level head counts for a lot. I want to commend Airbnb. They are making it easier to find wheelchair-friendly homes. I have heard for years uh, from people that I know that are in wheelchairs that it's very difficult for them to know if a home that they're looking at renting for a vacation or for one night, if they go somewhere, is handicapped accessible. And I like that Airbnb is doing this to make it a little easier to find if a uh, home is wheelchair accessible. Hey, do you remember last week when I gave a commendation to Tiffany Trump for her wedding? 
Let me do the same for Naomi Biden. President Biden had a big weekend, obviously, turning 80. But the big bash at the White House was for his granddaughter, Naomi, his oldest granddaughter, who got married to Peter Neal on the White House South Lawn on Saturday. Uh, I think this is great. There have not been a lot of White House weddings over the years. Uh, Trisha Nixon had one when she married Ed Cox. And um, obviously Nixon's other daughter, I think, had one when when she married um, uh, Julie. Julie Nixon married Dwight Eisenhower's grandson. And there's been a few others. But throughout history, not a lot. Not a lot. Um, I think this is great. So uh, Naomi Biden, I don't know much about her. But uh, 28 years old, she seems like a delightful young woman, a beautiful woman. And um, I'm wishing her and her husband a lot of uh, health and happiness. When you're the son, when you're the child or the grandchild of a president, you really get a lot of grief. And um, it's grief you didn't ask for. You never ran for office in most cases. But yet people are so prepared to dislike you because of your last name. And uh, I feel bad whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden, whose family has to go through all this. So I say congratulations to you, Naomi Biden, and wishing you a sincere commendation. I want to give a commendation as well to King Charles. That's right. Still feels weird calling him King Charles, doesn't it? King Charles is banning faux gras at royal residences. And um, he is understood to have been a longstanding opponent of the food, which is made from the liver of a duck or a goose in a very cruel manner. I mean, you want to talk about animals that are horribly mistreated. Take a look at how they make foie gras. And I think this is a great first step by King Charles to uh, not serve it at any royal residences. Hopefully some folks will um, take note of that. I want to give a, a commendation as well to Twitter for the reinstatement of a lot of the banned people. We spoke about that a little earlier. And... Want to give a commendation to Mattress Mac. Jim Mattress Mac Mackingvale is an incredible guy. He's my kind of gambler, and he won $72.6 million in winnings from his World Series wagers on the Astros. And he owns a furniture store. And see, he hosted on Sunday... The first of three refund parties for about 7,000 customers who took part in a promotion that guaranteed up to double their money back on purchases of $3,000 or more if the Astros win the World Series. I love that this guy had the gumption to bet this amount of money. I love that he won. And I love that he's given back to his customers. It's a big win for the customers, a big win for him. I love this, everything about the story. And finally, oh, actually, uh, yeah, finally, want to commend Ethiopia. Ethiopia made global headlines three years ago when they launched an ambitious campaign to plant 20 billion trees by the end of this year. Well, now they have achieved their goal. It's already been exceeded, but they're going to keep planting more and more trees. And uh, it sounds impressive, and they're going to keep going. 20 billion trees planted in just three years. That is really impressive. Uh, This has restored greenery. They say this has tackled climate change and improved local livelihoods. I think this is wonderful. All right. 
Uh, you want to comment on anybody I have commended or anything else we've covered thus far, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is, of course, one of the great musical artists of this or any other era, uh, Millie Vanilli. Girl, I'm gonna miss you. Uh, and then it turned out it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Five days ago, in 1990, Millie Vanilli, it came to light that uh, they had not sung a note of their music. So they were lip syncers. They did not really sing. And uh, it was on November 15th that we learned that in 1990. Some people say that's really the day the music died. Some people say it's when a group as iconic, as integral to as many people's thoughts and dreams as Millie Vanilli is, uh, a group that was thought could create music that really spoke to people, that really connected with them on a visceral level, if they're a fraud, then what's real? Destroyed a lot of people's hopes, a lot of people's dreams. Millie Vanilli. 800-848-9222. That is 1-800-848-9222. Hey, one of the things that I would like to play, um, I don't know if we're going to get to it today because I want to get to some calls. We may, we may get to it next hour. We may not. But I think you know, if you listen to me, that I am no great fan of either Hillary Clinton or Condoleezza Rice. I have nothing against them as people. I think they're both very accomplished women. And the people that know them on a personal level usually have pretty nice things to say. But their, their politics are not my politics. And they're especially foreign policy. Basically, they both support your typical neocon foreign policy. That being said, I caught an interview that Jon Stewart did with them on YouTube. I have to tell you, they didn't change my mind about anything, but it was terrific. A lot of it was platitudes. A lot of it was repeating typical neocon talking points on foreign policy. But the one thing you can't doubt is the intelligence of both of these women. So I'm going to link to, if you want to watch it, um, facebook.com slash Morano fan. If we don't talk about it today, I will talk about it tomorrow because I want to respond 
critically to some of the things that they said because I disagree with much of it. But I thought they both raised a couple of interesting points. And I think it was so great in the current climate to have these two women, former secretaries of state, interacting with one another and talking with one another. I am so over this partisanship and Republicans getting in their echo chamber, Democrats getting in their echo chamber, and nobody ever speaks. You know, some people were critical of uh, Sid Rosenberg, who's the morning show host on WABC, for talking with Eric Adams on Friday and going out to dinner with him. I think that's great. And, you know, I was talking with Curtis Lee. I don't know what Curtis has been saying about that on the radio. But I was talking with Curtis Lee, who ran against Eric Adams. He acknowledged it's great for the station to have um, someone who speaks mainly to a conservative audience, Sid, speaking with someone who's one of the most prominent Democratic elected officials in the whole country, Eric Adams. And I think that's great. I think we need more of that. And I think this uh, Hillary Clinton, Condoleezza Rice discussion is, is phenomenal. I, um, I, I thought it was really well done, and I'd love to see more discussions like this. And see, sometimes it takes a comedian like Jon Stewart to bring people together like that uh, who are polar opposites. Well, they're not really polar opposites in terms of ideology, but they're total polar, polar opposites in terms of their political maturation and upbringing. But I'd love to see the same thing done with a Democrat and Republican secretary of defense, for instance, or um, director of the CIA or, you know, a bunch of other people. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Dave in Dumont. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank. How's it going? How's, going how was well. your week? Good. How was your weekend? Uh, busy. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Well, did you get some good time, uh, downtime with Carmine? Yeah, and- well, Carmine and I had a, a blast. Although, you know, for some reason, and he's been sleeping really well, but for some reason on Saturday night, he woke up screaming at 2.40 in the morning and he could not be satiated. And I felt so bad because I brought him a bottle. He didn't want his bottle. He just wanted to be up. And I, I and I, I can't tell you how frustrating it is when you're – I mean, this is nothing. This is just him talking. But it's so frustrating um, and I, when he's screaming and like his whole body is vibrating and he's got real tears coming out. And he doesn't want his bottle. He didn't need to be changed. He, I think he was probably just teething, but he hasn't done that in so long. And uh, I just wish I could, you know, know what's wrong, number one, and two, bring him some comfort so that he goes back to bed. Eventually, he did go back to bed, but he certainly cost me some sleep. I'll tell you that. Oh, but we wow. had a good weekend, though. That's for sure. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Can I talk about pro wrestling? Be my guest, Dave. One of my favorite subjects. Okay. Uh, you were talking about uh, Bill Goldberg. And uh, that he just kind of like came into wrestling without being involved in it for hardly in the beginning. You know, he didn't go through the ropes and, you know, as, uh, you know, know in undercards and, you know, in small uh, independent uh, leagues like a lot of other guys. And a lot of these guys, you know, there's one thing I like to say about these pro wrestlers. A lot of them are very highly educated. Oh no, I, I know George the Animal Steel, who um, you know was looked like a like a buffoon on television. He was a very intelligent guy, and um, I think was a teacher actually. Yeah, um, the uh, the gentleman, uh, he's the Spanish guy. I forgot his name from the eighties. Tito Santana. 
Tito Santana, yeah, he's a Spanish teacher in Morristown, New Jersey, after he retired. Oh, really? I'm not surprised to hear that. He always struck me as a very intelligent guy. Yeah, and, of course, he was, I think, Mexican. Yes, well, I think you're probably right about that. Yeah, but anyway, what also what I also wanted to make a point on was that uh, J.R. Jim Ross mm-hmm. was the former announcer with sure. the WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Goldberg came over to the WWE after... Vince bought out uh, WCW, and Goldberg was wrestling, and Jim Ross was announcing, and he would come out and just right off say, Goldberg is a Steve Austin wannabe. Well, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people feel felt that way. I mean, uh, if you look at the similarities in the outfits they wear, if you look at the similarity in how they look, they both were bald um, and had uh, kind of the goatee. Uh, Steve Austin obviously, uh, you know, obviously has so much more wrestling ability than uh, than Goldberg did. But even Steve Austin, when he would go on uh, Howard Stern and other shows, he would refer to Goldberg as a WCW version of uh, of him. So maybe there's some truth to it. I, I mean, you saw that a lot in wrestling. I mean, WCW tried a, a knockoff of the Ultimate Warrior with Renegade. Um, you know, you saw uh, a lot. You see a lot of that going back and forth. So you know, I think a lot of people felt that way. I think they had a very different style, and um, you know, obviously, uh, Stone Cold. He's a real wrestler. You could like him, dislike him, but he, you know, Goldberg didn't have the kind of wrestling ability that Steve Austin did. But Dave, thanks for the call and the perspective, and for the reminder that a lot of pro wrestlers are very intelligent. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. By the way, let me play a little bit of this Hillary Clinton Condoleezza Rice thing. So this is from John Stewart's podcast on November nineteenth. You can watch the whole thing. It's about 44 minutes on my Facebook page. Here is um, Hillary Clinton talking about the state of American democracy today. What is the state in your minds of the idea of liberal democracy versus authoritarianism, illiberal democracy? Uh, What's the state of play as we stand now, Secretary? Well, I think the reason we're having this uh, conversation, John, is because we're worried about the state of democracy. And we're worried about uh, not only democracy around the world, but even in our own country. Uh, So there are considerable stresses on the system that was built up over so many years. And that, of course, in my opinion, um, served our country and the world very well. There is a concerted effort by either illiberal, authoritarian, uh, tyrannical regimes uh, in the world today uh, to try to push back uh, not just democracy as a political or governing system, but freedom, human rights, the value of each individual, um, the dignity that each individual should uh, be accorded. And we see that, obviously, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Iran's efforts to suppress the legitimate uh, concerns and desires of their young people, what went on uh, in Afghanistan, the consolidation of power in China. So I think it's a very real uh, concern that uh, I'm glad you're addressing. Now, look, I think it's very difficult to disagree with what she said there, but I just, while I'm watching it, and again, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the discussion and then even if I didn't enjoy it, I'm still would be glad that it happened. But if you talk about, she mentions Iran specifically. 
she served as Secretary of State, America's top diplomat, in the Obama administration. Now, the Obama administration gave away the store with the Iran deal. So I, I couldn't help but think, now, it was not her, you know, deal. It was John F. Kerry, her successor. But I can't help but think, I don't remember her calling out Iran when she was running for president herself in 2016. Or when a lot of other people, Democrat and Republican, by the way, were saying how we shouldn't go and engage in the Iran deal. When we were publicly negotiating the Iran deal and folks like Chuck Schumer were saying how great it was, I don't remember her saying, well, you know, Iran is a great authoritarian regime. Look at what they're doing, not just to young people, but others. And then she also mentions China. I mean, I found that laughable. If you want to look at what the two administrations she was a part of, the Clinton administration and the Obama administration, did with respect to China, did they become more or less authoritarian as a result of the actions of the Clinton or Obama administration? Just to ask yourself that question. So I I don't think she... uh, Fine, but I thought it was a good discussion. I'm glad they had it. Here's Condi Rice on the same question. Well, I do think that uh, the state of democracy is tenuous. I would maybe say it always is because I think democracy is actually hard. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It's it's hard to say to people, you are going to trust your, your interest, your concerns, uh, your desires to these abstractions called institutions. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fight it out in the streets. You're not going to go to clan and family. And uh, we, we sometimes just don't focus on how remarkable it is that democracies work, particularly in places that are a bit uh, cacophonous, mm-hmm. uh, like the United States. I would also uh, agree with Hillary about the pushback among authoritarians and uh, tyrannical regimes, because a number of them saw it coming for them. They saw that the aspirations of their people were mm-hmm. growing, and now they have to do something to maintain control. I would say when I hear, and I do hear echoes of this sometimes, I'll call it authoritarian envy. Oh, you know, they build great airports. Oh, they're so mm-hmm. organized. Oh, you know, isn't it amazing how messy democracy is? They get things done. I want to say to people, first of all, you wouldn't like to live in a place that gets things done in that way. But secondly, they also make huge mistakes. So think about China. Mm-hmm. Think about the one-child policy, which was brutally and efficiently carried out mm-hmm. uh, several decades ago. And now 34 million Chinese men don't have mates. And so when authoritarians make a mistake, they make a really big mistake because there's nobody, there's no self-correcting mechanism. No pendulum. Swing. No pendulum to, to say you can't do that. And so these uh, authoritarian leaders, in Vladimir Putin, Essentially, one man mm-hmm. decides to take his country to war against uh, a neighbor because he thinks it's going to be easy. And now everything's in turmoil. So, uh, yes, there are terrible problems with democracy, but uh, it is the best system that anybody has ever found. Right. So I, I thought that was a good answer, and I agree with much of what she said there. However, I really think both of them, Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice, because they've been part of winning governments— They're really overstating the quality of American democracy. I think there's a strong case to be made, and I'm not the only one saying this. There have been a lot of political scientists and a lot of scholars that have said this. I think it's a real question as to whether America really is a democracy. If you look at the role of big money, right, if you look at who actually has 
abilities to make decisions and to make policy in this country? Do you really think we all have an equal say? I don't. I don't. Um, And other scholars who've written reports on the quality of American democracy compared to other democracies around the world would say the same thing. There's a wonderful book um, called uh, Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained. And unfortunately, the the author died. Um, he was, he, and I got to interview him before before he uh, passed away. Obviously, uh, the book is by Arthur Robbins. It's still available on Amazon. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful history book. There's some uh, wonderful think things that will make you think in there. And I I steal a lot of stuff from that book from time to time. It's great. But what Arthur Robbins um, points out is that government is a numbers game, right? And it's great that people get to vote, but government's a numbers game. Let's say you can vote on who the leader is of a country. Everyone gets to vote. Everyone's got an equal vote. The election is fair. And whoever wins that election gets to rule. What do you have? You have an elected dictatorship. Is that a democracy? No. Um, We have basically the same thing. Only instead of one person getting to rule, it's a small group of people that get to rule. We have an elected oligarchy. Is that a democracy? I don't think so. Compare that to the kind of democracy that they had in ancient Athens or uh, the kind of democracy that exists in some New England towns that are governed by town hall meeting where everyone really does get an equal say. That's a real democracy. Uh, So... I would have loved to hear one of the three people in that conversation, uh, John Stewart, Condoleezza Rice, or Hillary Clinton, bring up the problems with American democracy. And they didn't do that. But, um, you know, it was still a good discussion. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi, Frank. I think the $1,000 minute should be scaled down to maybe a uh, WABC jacket or some other product that uh, WABC has. You know what I mean? um, I think people would be just as happy with that. I'm not so sure, Tom. I mean, you're going to tell me you're going to go through the rigmarole of trying to be the seventh caller and then for the accomplishment of answering 10 questions in 60 seconds, you're going to be just as satisfied with a $30 piece of merchandise as you would $1,000? Well, why not? I mean, to say, look. Well, because people look, like a, to get $1,000. This individual, this individual that uh, uh, emailed you there. No, he didn't whatever, even email me. He posted it in the, in the <clears> Facebook <throat> group. Had he emailed me, I could have just forwarded it to the proper uh, you know, powers that be. And by the way, that's an important point, Tom. Thank you. Um, it is If you want to get something done at the station, like, for instance, um, people were complaining about Kenneth reading a lot of the wrong sports scores, which he does from time to time. Um, you know what happens? If you email me, I can then email Kenneth, and he'll stop reading the wrong sports scores. But if you then choose to take your complaints to the public sphere and go to Curtis or go to Facebook or whatever, then I may not even see this. But if you email me directly, and I'm pretty accessible via email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, I will forward your email to the appropriate party. 800-848-9222. John is in Freehold, New Jersey. Hello, John. 
Frank. Um, before, I wanted to touch on the Hillary Clinton thing, but before that, I got to tell you the craziest thing that just happened to me. Well, oh, boy, I love it. Yeah, go ahead. Lay it on me. I, was, uh, I had to go check on my car that's being worked on in Newark, New Jersey. And I'm listening to you. I pulled over. I happened to, like, fall asleep for a few minutes because I'm really tired. I woke up to somebody in the backseat of my car. You're kidding. What, did they think you were an Uber? No. I turn around, and it's uh, this lady. And I go, what are you doing in my car? And she goes, uh, uh, she goes, uh, you fell asleep, and the cops came. And I told them that you're my friend, and you passed out. I go, I go no, the cops didn't come. They would have woke me up. And she goes, oh, well, my friend told me to come. I'm like, get out of my car. Well, but who so was she? She gave me a ride up the street. I don't, like some homeless lady. Oh, my. That's she, wild. Can you give me a ride? She goes, can you give me a ride up the street? I go, get out of my car. I never, I, I couldn't believe, like, I woke up to, it's so dangerous. John, first <laughs> of all, that, that, that's crazy. I'm glad you pulled over to get some sleep. But why didn't you lock your doors? I, I, I know. I don't know. I guess because I put the car in park, they unlocked. I didn't realize. Yeah, but, you uh, got you got to be careful, especially in Newark. Uh, Newark uh, is uh, not exactly the uh, safest city in America. I know. I just couldn't believe. I woke up somebody's in the backseat. Almost had a heart attack. But anyway, so um, well, you, I, you, I, I just, by the way, though, you kept the show on while you were sleeping and while she was in your car, right? She was exposed to this show. Yes, and I don't good. know how long she was in there because it was like a good like uh, forty five minutes that I felt. All right. Well, we want to thank you for that because she's probably hooked now. <laughs> so. Um, I just want to say, you know, I thought a long time ago, um, like, if I were to run for president, what would I, like, what would I say or do? And I thought that uh, it would be actually equal as a the real democracy. What if everything was put to, like, a like a vote online, like on YouTube? Every bill, every, uh, you know, every foreign policy, like, whatever decision had to be made, Everybody in the country literally got to vote on Well, John, I, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, Ross Perot, when he was running for president in 1992, he proposed something similar, and that was before everybody had smartphones. Mike Gravel, when he ran for president in 2008, the former senator from Alaska, big shout-out to our listeners on KBUIR in Anchorage, but um, Mike Gravel, he proposed something similar to what you're describing as well. And Joe Piscopo... My colleague um, on the on the radio, he was describing something similar like that. I love that idea. Obviously, the criticisms are – there are several criticisms of it. One, people say, okay, that means we'll have mob rule. And uh, two, other people say, well, okay, we'll have people voting on issues they don't fully understand. Uh, three yeah, – Oh, we are the mob, though. I mean, I, we're I, John, the mob. again, I, I I love the idea. So I'm trying to give you the, the counterweight, and uh, people say, well, no, we, we shouldn't have a direct democracy, which is basically what you're describing. Uh, we should have a, a representative republic, which is what the founders um, suggested. I love that suggestion. But, um, you know, again, there are a lot of arguments on the other side. They point to different initiatives where uh, people get uh, – bamboozled into voting one way or another. But I I think I'd be much more comfortable with 
regular people making decisions as opposed to brown-nosing politicians with, with connections. So I really like the idea, John. And uh, if you ever run for president, you will uh, in all likelihood have my support. John, thank you for the call. Don't let anybody else in your car. Lock the door if you uh, go to sleep. It's good advice for everybody. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You know, I caught they did a very interesting profile on Linda Ronstadt on CBS Sunday morning on Sunday. And um, she apparently can't sing anymore, uh, but she's got a new book out about cooking, of all things. And it was really interesting. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to get the book, but, you know, it was an interesting segment nonetheless. All right. Uh, without further ado, 800 Let me remind you, if you're interested in the mob, or anything having to do with organized crime, you've got to check out my podcast, The Racket Report. Uh, You can get it wherever podcasts are available, Spotify or uh, iTunes, much like Andrew Cuomo. It's on Apple. It's on every major podcast platform. Just search The Racket Report or The Racket Report with Frank Morano. And um, it's really interesting, I think. It's uh, got a lot of good stuff there. My guest in the most recent edition is a former prosecutor named Michael Vecchione. He was the top prosecutor under Charles Joe Hines in the Brooklyn DA's office. And his book is called Homicide is My Business. It's all about this guy by the name of Luigi the Zip, guy I knew nothing about before reading the book and interviewing Michael Vecchione. And so much of Luigi the Zip's rise in the mafia hierarchy has to do with the pizza, pizza connection. So we talked a little bit about that to kind of give folks a foundation. What was the pizza connection? What was mafia life like? And then if you can kind of dovetail that into a discussion of what exactly the pizza connection was. Okay, sure. So at the time that Luigi came over, um, let me just start by why he came here. to, the, to I shouldn't say here. Why he, 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 came, he went to Brooklyn as opposed to Manhattan or Queens or any place else, um, and, and it kind of answers your question uh, in a, a little bit of a roundabout way. When he went to Rapisardi and, and said to him, "I've done all of these things for you. I want to become a man of honor." Rapisardi told him that it was not in the cards, basically, and that he should go to Brooklyn, specifically to Knickerbocker Avenue to the Bonanno family. Now, the the reason for that is that before this is around 1966. Before the in, in the early 60s, maybe the late 50s, Joe Bonanno and Carmine Galante uh, went to Sicily to set up 
a, um, a, a distribution, a narcotics distribution uh, network. And, um, and, and they partnered with the Sicilian Mafia. And, and that word filtered down throughout Sicily to even to the Catania people that, that Brooklyn was the place for Sicilian men to get to because the, the American Mafia needed them. So it's a really interesting discussion. If you want to hear the whole discussion, I really will urge you to listen to the Racket Report and subscribe. Subscribe to the Racket Report. By the way, speaking of mob lawyers, I was at uh, John Maringolo's wake last night. And uh, again, the number of things that I would go to on a Sunday night when I don't really get any sleep on a Sunday anyway, especially after having a family function and needing to prepare for the show and not being able to bike, which I was looking for to do, it's, it's not a high list of things that I would go to, a large number of things. But I wouldn't have missed this for the world because John was a great guy and a friend. And a um, couple of things struck me when I went to the wake. One, uh, there were so many different aspects of John's career that I didn't know about. He published a magazine about Muhammad Ali. They had some po- copies of the magazine there that was interesting. Published a uh, an NFL, like a, a football draft zone magazine also. But also, they had sketches. You know how they have photos of the person when he was alive with his family and friends? They had courtroom sketches of John in court. There were five or six courtroom sketches from high-profile cases that he had had. And I thought that was a really nice touch. I'd never seen that before. I thought that was great. But still so sad to think of one-year-old twins. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Boy, oh boy, you do not want to mess with those Taylor Swift fans. Taylor Swift is probably the most popular recording artist in America. I don't think that's... Actually, no, that's not a stretch at all. It's not subjective. She holds, at least as of a week ago, I don't know if this is still the case, but as of a week or two ago, she her songs occupied all ten of the top 10 songs in the country. No, I, to my knowledge, no singer has ever done that. Now, my wife claims that our son Carmine is a very big Taylor Swift fan because especially when he was younger, she would play Taylor Swift music for him and he would calm down. But I don't think that's accurate. I think he would have calmed down for any sort of upbeat music. And a lot of the Taylor Swift songs that she would play were upbeat. And... And, and I've tried to show her, and this is one of these things that she, there's no convincing her of. She has become convinced that he's a Taylor Swift fan. And I, I believe that any kind of upbeat, I'll play Louis Prima for him, and he he is just as happy. 
But you can't tell her that. So now, because she plays Taylor Swift for him all the time, he is fond of a lot of these Taylor Swift songs. So it's become sort of a a Rachel-fulfilling prophecy, sort of. But whatever, that's a subject. A discussion for another day. The point is, my wife believes that our son is a big Taylor Swift fan. And I have nothing against Taylor Swift. We play her music on the show from time to time. She's a great artist, great singer. And she seems like a really nice person, too. So have you followed this fiasco in the sale of these Taylor Swift tickets? So she is the most popular artist in America. And she has not done live shows for four years. So when she announced a tour, Ticketmaster was the ticketing agent. What do you think is going to happen? Obviously, millions of people are going to want to go. And I, I don't know if this was resolved. I don't think it was. But a lot of her Orthodox Jewish fans were upset with her because, and I, I don't know if this changed, but as of a week or two ago, she had all sorts of tour dates But she didn't offer anything on Sunday. She was offering Saturday and Friday. And if you're an observant Jew, you can't go out on Saturday. So a lot of people were upset that there were no concert offerings on Sunday. I don't know if that got resolved. But that's not necessarily relevant here. So Ticketmaster was the ticketing agent due to underinvestment in their platform. The corporation, and I think they're owned by a company called Live Nation, the corporation's site and app crashed. They were completely unable to handle the demand for tickets. And my sister actually got tickets. She's going with her friend in L.A., uh, my sister Claudia and her friend Rachel, no relation to my wife, Rachel. They're going to their her show in, in L.A., but they got pre-sale tickets somehow. I don't know exactly what happened. But... Tick scalpers managed to get plenty of tickets and put them on sale for much more than the original list price. Taylor Swift herself commented on this. She said, it's truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets. This is, uh, she posted this on Instagram. It's truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets, but it really pisses me off that a lot of them feel like they went through several bear attacks to get them. They must be residents of the state of New Jersey. Uh Uh-huh. So, obviously, people are pretty frustrated about this. Lucy Smith is a TikToker, and here is some audio from the TikTok community. Our uh, TikTok to radio liaison, Alex Barnard, found this. I don't go on TikTok because I don't want the Chinese having all my data. So we have Alex Barnard give all his data to the Chinese so he can research all this. Lucy Smith uh, said this of the Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift Ticketmaster scandal. I know that this is not typically what I share. However, I need for Ticketmaster and Taylor Swift to both know just so in the future if I don't get a ticket – they can resolve this issue. Anyways, yesterday I got my verified fan email about fell out of my chair at work and set my plan of attack. Anyways, I got verified. Hang on. About an hour later, I got my text saying that I was selected for the Atlanta April 30th show, which is a Sunday. Keep in mind, this was one of the added shows 
that I didn't get to select when ticket registration first started. I registered for the Friday and Saturday Atlanta shows and then the Nashville show. However, I'm so cool with getting the show. This was what I was hoping is that if I didn't get the first two, I would then get the Sunday Atlanta show. So I was super pumped and I blocked off my code, but you can see I got the link, I got the time, I got the date, and I got my code that I blocked off. Then the night before I set my plan of attack and I made sure that my email, my phone number was linked to the right account. That means that I was gonna register on the account that I got the text and the email from, making sure that everything was kosher. And then I uploaded my credit card, did everything that I needed to do in order for me to succeed this morning. So then I log on with the link that I was given and you can see sale will begin at 10 a.m. I'm in the lobby for the Sunday, April 30th show. Uh, yeah. So, and you can see up in the very top corner, the little L that's circled, that shows that I'm in my proper account. So then tell me why, as I'm signing into my account, do I get this, I'm not a verified fan email? What? Oh, I'm, I'm hella verified. So I'm really not sure what happened. I did not get tickets and it was because of I don't know what. I tried signing out, I tried logging back in, I closed all of my computers, not that any of them had tabs open on other things, but still, I really don't know what went on. I'm really bummed because I did all the right steps, saved up a ton of money, made a plan of attack with who I was going to go with, um, and I ended up not getting tickets. And now it's 1018, and I can guarantee that there's probably no tickets left. So Ticketmaster, Taylor Swift, someone who works with Ticketmaster and or Taylor Swift, maybe four people will see this, but maybe other people had a similar experience, so... I don't know what to do now, except for just watch it all go down on Instagram in six months. Yeah, I'm struck by a few things. One, I can't imagine wanting to go to any concert. And I'm just amazed that so many people do. I, I mean, I just, but, but whatever, that's, that's, that's me being unusual, not anybody else. But um, this woman, Lucy Smith, was not alone. This fiasco has millions of fans furious because they were not able to see their favorite singer and yet a whole bunch of ticket scalpers were able to get access to these tickets okay so what's going on here so uh, one one woman robin belner posted uh, this photo on twitter with a screenshot she said hey Ticketmaster, look it's the seats i had in my cart that glitched out now being sold for over three times the original price, and I don't have tickets at all. Funny that every single ticket I clicked is now on there. So do you see why the fans are so annoyed? They weren't able to get tickets. Ticketmaster couldn't handle the demands from the fans, and the scalpers got them, and now they're trying to rip off the public. Um, well, I guess rip off, or is it the free market it's, um, in the eye of the beholder? So why was Ticketmaster's system so poorly structured? And the live to look to answer that, it helps to look at the firm's stock price. In the face of such a high profile embarrassment, a firm without market power would suffer in the marketplace. Investors would assume that customers would switch to a competitor's service, much as say Ford's stock would drop if it has to do a recall of a line of cars. But Live Nation, the company that owns Ticketmaster, stock didn't move at all. No investors were afraid that artists or venues would use a competitor's software system. Why? Why? Because they can't. 
There are no meaningful competitors. This is another example of a monopoly. This is a monopoly. There are no meaningful rivalries. The problem, as this generation of fans, like that woman I just played for you, Lucy Smith, is learning, isn't just that Ticketmaster is a bad system, which they are. The problem is that Ticketmaster is the only system. It's a monopoly. And so the Swifties, as they call her fans, are demanding answers. These are the kind of bitter cries that tend to usually just go out into the void. Just one more piece of evidence that we have too many greedy people at the top and a government that simply can't act. But this time, something is different. Two days ago, David McCabe reported that the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, because of this whole Ticketmaster situation with Taylor Swift, has been investigating Live Nation the parent company of Ticketmaster for antitrust violations, and that revelation caused the stock to drop. The Ticketmaster monopoly story goes back to the 90s. It started with a merger. In 1991, Ticketmaster acquired its main rival in computerized ticketing, Ticketron, which put 90% of the ticketing business in the hands of one firm. This was a milestone. And uh, Ticketmaster brags about this merger, which Matt Stoller, who writes uh, a terrific newsletter, he's been a guest on this show, he writes all about monopolies, um, he wrote a column that talks about this. Ticketmaster, he, he says this merger was unlawful. Ticketmaster brags about this merger on their website. Three years later, after the merger, the fees for ticketing had gotten out of hand. So Pearl Jam, which was then the biggest band in the world, got mad. They were angry at the high prices and the hidden fees the firm charged their fans, and they wanted a straightforward ticket price. So $1.80 service fees clearly spelled out on $18 tickets, which was lower than what Ticketmaster sought. But Ticketmaster refused. So the band, Pearl Jam, boycotted what was then the new Ticketmaster monopoly. They ran a pressure campaign. They testified to Congress. They embarked on a lobbying campaign. They pointed out the firm acquiring and buying up all their rivals. Ticketmaster struck back. What did they do? They bribed music venues to only accept Ticketmaster as a booking system, which meant Pearl Jam couldn't play at most normal locations. Think about that. A band as big as Pearl Jam couldn't stand up to the Ticketmaster monopoly. Pearl Jam's tour, because of this, in 1995, was a catastrophe. They had to play in places like sporting fields, which couldn't hold concerts. So most of their shows were canceled. The cost to Pearl Jam was in the millions, and it devastated them. It was, this was a remarkable potential moment for antitrust enforcement. Where was the Clinton Justice Department? Nowhere. The biggest music act in the world brought to its knees by a ticketing monopoly. Enforcers did nothing under Clinton, under Bush, under Obama, under Trump. Ticketmaster grew, bought up more and more rivals and potential rivals, becoming more and more powerful. Then enter the other major powerhouse of the industry, Live Nation, a firm that rolled up live events until it ultimately became the world's largest concert promotion company. Live Nation was sick of paying Ticketmaster's fees And the two firms had been battling it out at the bargaining table. Finally, Live Nation simply built its own ticketing software and threatened to compete directly with Ticketmaster. Competition 
would have hit profits for both firms. So instead, they work out a deal to merge. So this combined super entity could have all the fees and more to itself. And now uh, this deal between Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which was so outrageously arrogant that the combined firm um, you know, was chaired, the chairman in a New York Times profile confessed himself to, to being a serial liar and talked about how he put pictures of himself giving the middle finger on his own stationery. Okay, this is all public record. Initially, some people thought President Obama, who had talked a good game on antitrust, would block the merger. But he didn't. They approved it. And here we are. Here we are. And today, the choice by the Obama administration looks inexplicable. And here we are. Now, because of the attention that was paid to the Ticketmaster scandal because of the Swifties, they may finally do something about it. It's emba- This is embarrassing for the antitrust division that they facilitated this merger with Live Nation because the premise of their merger was that bigness begats efficiency. And yet this new big super-duper firm couldn't handle an easily predicted demand spike that it induced by sending out marketing codes to Taylor Swift's fans. Politicians are speaking out. The state attorneys general in Tennessee, in North Carolina, they're pledging to investigate. Members of Congress, Democrat and Republican, have written letters to the Department of Justice. Senators Amy Klobuchar, Democrat. Senator Mike Lee, Republican. They're, They're prepared to hold hearings. And yet this firm is acting just like a monopolist would, treating the fiasco as something of a joke. The first words out of a Live Nation executive um, at the Liberty Investor meeting two days ago was, quote, everyone has a Taylor Swift ticket underneath their seat. Oh, that's funny. That's great. These fans, disappointed they don't get to see their favorite artist and now have to pay three times the price through buying through a ticket scalper and... They're joking about it. Well, my hope is that these Taylor Swift fans, these Swifties, will swift boat Ticketmaster, and they will embarrass the government into breaking up this monopoly. And then maybe Taylor Swift and her fans, when they get done with breaking up the Ticketmaster monopoly, maybe they can move over to Amazon and deal with that. Maybe they can deal with the baby formula monopoly or some of the pharmacy monopolies. Or the monopoly in eyeglasses that exists. Because monopolies are not good for the consumer. Monopolies are not a result of the free market. Monopolies crush free markets. And um, do not upset the Taylor Swift fans. That is the lesson. It's going to be very interesting to see if Live Nation decides to throttle back a bit on their fees, on their coercive practices, on their retaliatory behavior. Because sometimes that happens. Firms in the crosshairs often do. And that's probably why the stock went down. An expectation from investors that Live Nation might have to eat some of this cost here. Somehow, I don't think they will. Live Nation is still guided by that middle finger original chairman. And that's the attitude that they seem to have. 
And that's what at least two generations of music fans have experienced. The Pearl Jam fans and the Taylor Swift fans. Comment if you like, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Hey, um, a lot of people have certain expectations of me. One of them, and many of them are untrue. I've always said, I'm not sure why this is the case, but I've always said um, many people think I'm smarter than I am. I'm really not that bright. Certainly that would not be a surprise to anyone in the Facebook group, but a lot of people that meet me expect me to be much smarter than I am. And then I always feel like they're disappointed that I'm I'm not that intelligent. But um, one of the things that I always thought that I would be much better at than I am is Scrabble, because I love words. I like to read. I think I have a pretty good vocabulary. And yet, I am a... I've played Scrabble a couple of times over the years. Not many. Honestly, I think you could count on one hand the amount of times that I've played Scrabble in my life because I'm perpetually disappointed in my own performance. Now, maybe if I played more, I'd get better. But I always thought I would be better because I like crossword puzzles. I love words. And yet, sure enough, I'm playing Scrabble like Jerry Seinfeld's mother. Quone? Quone? No, I'm afraid... I'm going to have to challenge that. No, no, you don't have to challenge that. That's Uh, a word. That's a definite word. I am challenging. Clone. To clone something. Uh (laughs) I'm not playing with you anymore. Clone's not a word. No good. Sorry. There it is. Get it off. Why did you make me put that down? No. We need a medical dictionary. (laughs) If a patient gets difficult, you clone them. Well, last week, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary released the seventh edition of the Scrabble's Players Dictionary. The official referee, you heard Kramer say, we need a medical dictionary. Um, The official referee on what words are eligible in this popular game, Scrabble, which is one of the most popular board games in the world. You know what this dictionary includes? 500 new words, and people are furious. People are furious. Some of the expanded lexicon, these are all words you can now play in Scrabble, ladies and gentlemen. Some of the expanded lexicon included terms initially popularized in slang. Isn't that always how it goes? Such as adorbs, adorbs, which is, I guess, vernacular for adorable. You can now play adorbs in Scrabble. This one drove me crazy. You know what's now considered a word in Scrabble? And again, maybe it shouldn't drive me crazy because I don't play Scrabble. It'll affect you if you play. Am I right? The word, am I right? A-M-I-R-I-T-E as one word. Am I right? And B-A-E. That means, I guess, loosely, babe. B-A-E or before all else. or I don't know. That's it's it's That's one of those... Text acronyms that I never really get. B-A-E. Well, that's now a word. Others stem from the world of current affairs. You know what else is a word? Vax. V-A-X. That's a word. Subtweet is a word. And there are a whole bunch of new food items included. Guac is now a word. Queso is now a word. 
And it also expanded words from foreign languages that are frequently used in English. Um, you have uh, carnitas. That's a word. Iftar, which is the meal eaten at sundown by Muslims during Ramadan. And uh, the dictionary came with some surprising additions. For example, dumpster, previously characterized as a trademark, that's now a noun. Scrabble officials also made verb a verb, meaning they made the word verb a verb, which means players can now play tense changes, changes such as verbing. That's a word now. Uh, Peter Sokolowski is the editor at large of the Washington of the, uh, the of Merriam Webster, and he told the Washington Post, "If I had to pick a favorite one, it would be the verbing of verb." Because it's a linguistic phenomenon that has real consequences in the game. We're recording that phenomenon, and now it's playable. What do you think of these changes? You happy? You sad? You don't care? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Hopefully things turn out better for you than the dairy-obsessed Erin, who was, of course, the receptionist on The Office. Did you play Moo? Because I'm playing to win. I'm playing moo, I'm playing milk, whatever it takes. Okay, but look, you could have hit mood. You could have played uh, a triple word. Like the cow mood yesterday. Or moon. The cow jumped over the moon. She's stuck no, it on that one thing. doesn't have to just be cow stuff. Yeah, that's Aaron playing electronic Scrabble. Very obsessed with cows for some reason. Other nouns that have gotten the verb treatment include adults and spitball. So you can now play adulting and spitballing. So much about the new words for Scrabble are consequences of the way dictionaries classify words. A grammatical distinction that allows for new plays. So the expansion of the dictionary is a big opportunity for Scrabble enthusiasts and word nerds alike to score more points in the game. So there you have it. The highest ranked Scrabble female in North America, Robin Pollock Daniel. This is what she said. It makes Scrabble one of the most exciting games that there are out there because it's dynamic and constantly changing. So I'm curious what you think of the changes. This is the first edition of words since 2018 when the last edition of this dictionary was published. Wow. So there you go. Enjoy your new words. We will allow all those words on this show. 800-848-9222. We're pretty flexible with uh, the words we allow. All right. Um, Matt Blaze, you play Scrabble? What's your story? No, nah, I don't play Scrabble, and nobody who uses the word adorbs is ever playing Scrabble. You don't think so? No. That's and and am I right? That how could you say that's a word? Well, talk to me. It's Mary three Webster. words. Well, it's it's slang. And guac and all these these shortened words are all of a sudden now actual words in the eyes of the Scrabble people. In the eyes of Merriam Webster. <sighs> you don't you don't like no, it? No. Well, good thing you don't I mean, play Scrabble. Yeah. A queso is a real word. Queso means cheese in Spanish. That's I mean, right. that's a real word. But guac is short for guacamole. It's not a word. Well, what about vax? How do you feel about vax? The same thing. It's a shortened version of vaccine. Uh, you will not be getting invited to anybody's Scrabble not. games. Kenneth, what's your story? You play Scrabble? Are you going to be hosting any Scrabble nights uh, upcoming? or? <laughs> No, I I I, uh, I prefer. You know what games I like to? I like Risk. I like Risk. I like cards. I like Trivial Pursuit. 
those are my games. I like word games like, uh, you know, 20 questions, like thought games, you know. I don't like uh, – I, I, Scrabble's not my thing. Um, but uh, there you have it. All right. Hey, we tell you what we are going to do. We are going to give you an opportunity to be like Mike. That's right. Last week, Mike, Big Mike as they call him, won $1,000 playing the $1,000 man. And if you want your opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. And if you are the seventh caller, you will get the opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds as part of the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I feel like I'm home now because this is one of the songs that um, that Rachel plays for the uh, Carmine Taylor Swift playlist. So uh, I, f- I feel like I'm in the car that she's trying to calm Carmine down with his uh, crying. He's gotten in the habit of screaming now. He lets out this high pitched scream, like not to not. No, no, no. That's just for him regular time. I, I can't even. He hits a pitch that's so high, I can't even. Can't even do it. Um, today is National Gingerbread Cookie Day. Also, National Stuffing Day. Very apropos. Only a few days before Thanksgiving, and World Television Day. I'm going to celebrate that by uh, hopefully watching some television on the bike later. I, I started this really interesting documentary. I'll tell you about it tomorrow. Hopefully. Hopefully I'll get to finish it. And, um, and tomorrow's the anniversary of the JFK assassination, so we're hoping to do some interesting JFK stuff tomorrow. Uh, it's a subject I'm very interested in. Always have been. But without further ado, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to Philip in Maryland. Hello, Philip. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Philip. Thanks for listening. Philip? Yes, I'm here. All right, great. You sound, I, I love the enthusiasm. Uh, I imagine so. You're a new listener to the show, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, I've been a month and a half on WCVM, I think it is in Baltimore. Wonderful. Well, how are you enjoying it so far? Good. All right. I mean, it's not a trick question, Philip. Uh, you know, you could be honest. Okay. Um, are you're familiar with this game? Then I take it. <clears throat> yes. All right. You ready to get started? Yes. Okay. What food? is traditionally served on Thanksgiving? Turkey. What ship did the Pilgrims come to America on? 
Mayflower. What television network does 60 Minutes air on? NBC. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's CBS. CBS, Philip. Um, I'm sorry about that. Not a 60 Minutes fan, I guess. I am, but I don't pay attention to the network. I see. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, talk to Kenneth. We're going to send you a uh, a cap or a shirt or something that you can proudly wear all over Maryland. Big shout out to all of our friends uh, and listeners on WCBM in Baltimore. Uh, by the way, uh, today on this day in 1620, it was the signing of the Mayflower Compact. 41 male passengers on the Mayflower prior to landing at Plymouth, Massachusetts, signed the Mayflower Compact, which they agreed to abide by the laws of the new government they established. So it seems very apropos in when we're talking about a day where we're talking about democracy and stuff. And this is also a banner day for those of us that are interested in sound and recorded sound. Thomas Edison, on this day in 1877 announced his invention of the phonograph. His invention of the phonograph was a way to record and play back sound. He stumbled on one of this his great inventions while working on a way to record telephone communica- communications at his laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey. And his work led him to experiment with a stylus on a tinfoil cylinder, which, to his surprise, played back the short sound he recorded, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Public demonstrations of the phonograph made the inventor world famous, and he was soon dubbed the Wizard of Menlo Park. And on this day in 1964, the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, which connects Brooklyn to Staten Island, opened to traffic. You know who was there? Lyndon Johnson, the President of the United States. And Donald Trump was there with his father. Isn't that interesting? Two presidents there, one a present president, one a future president. So uh, I thought uh, I thought that was certainly worthy of attention. All right. Uh, Dick Durbin's birthday today as well at 78. And uh, tr- a lot of athletes today. And this just goes to show you, I am convinced that there's something to astrology. Listen to all these athletes that were born today. Troy Aikman, Super Bowl champion, NFL. Ken Griffey Jr., okay? Michael Strahan. All sorts of other athletes born today. Stan Musial would have been 92 today. Uh, Or no, he passed away at the age of 92. No, he would have been 102 today, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'm always uh, very, very interested in the fact that people who seem to be born on the same day seem to have common characteristics for whatever reason. What does it all mean? Who knows? All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we have talked about thus far. By the way, I meant to acknowledge, you know, we exposed uh, the fact that uh, Matt Blaze has never seen The Godfather. That was about 10 days ago that we exposed that, Matt Place. Have you remedied that since then? I have not. Well, don't feel bad because my sister-in-law, I learned this over the weekend, my sister-in-law, Kat, has never seen the movie Arthur. Have you seen Arthur? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, so there's something. But um, 
So um, a lot of folks reached out to us about this Godfather screening that we're putting together for you, right? So I think you, I think Alex Bernard, was it Alex Barnard who said he never saw it also? Um, or whatever, someone else here had said they never saw it. And my friend Danielle never saw it, who gave her kidney away. And if you're going to give your kidney away to a coworker, you should at least be able to see one of the greatest films ever made. And Marlena Shivo has never seen it. So we're, we're going to arrange a screening, and Ed, who's a great listener of ours, who runs the uh, 33 football pool, which I have not yet won, won, he is willing to host this screening. And he's got a great residence in New Jersey with apparently a, a big old theater and very comfortable seating. And he's willing to host us for this screening. Uh, now I'm in. Yeah. So I was going to say, I got to see it in a theater. This yeah. is as close he as we're going to get. He has a dedicated home theater. Okay. And there's also, there's a ping pong table there, um, a pool table. Well, I think it's one of those situations where the ping pong table covers the pool table. I'm going to forward you this theater. The, the, you're going to see the images of this this theater. I think they could fit about seven comfortably. So we'll have... You know, we'll have you, Danielle, Marlena. I think um, Kenneth, I don't think, has seen it either, right? Or, he has, yeah. Oh, he has, right. Of course he has. He's a reasonable human being. Um, Alex Barnard, if he's never seen it. And then Rachel and I will come because we're interested in seeing the picture again. And uh, it's really, uh, I'm looking forward to this. So maybe post, obviously post Thanksgiving. We'll pick a, a Saturday or something and we'll do something. But uh, this is very, very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, thank you to Ed for making that offer. And I'm telling you, when I show you the pictures of this theater, you're going to be wowed. I'm going to forward you these so you can see that. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. O.B. Murray commenting on the um, Scrabble situation. He said that the addition of all these words was a PR move. Now, I get that. I guess the PR is that they, you know, they're getting attention. We're talking about them. They're getting attention for talking about, for adding all these words. Um, d- did Scrabble have a PR problem? I don't know. I feel like they are already a pretty well-recognized brand. And I'm wondering, with the backlash they're getting, is does that backfire in some ways? Are they being hurt at all by these uh, by this situation? Oh, I'll just tell you. So I, we had one woman who called before to comment on... Um, Carmine's first birthday. He's turning one on Friday, but we're having a small, small family party the day after Thanksgiving, and we've only invited immediate family and Curtis, just so he doesn't complain about not getting invited. And then he pretended when I saw him that um, that he was not invited. So whatever, that's the game he wants to play. That's fine. How are you talking about? Um, but here's what happened. Very. You know, we we invited my siblings, siblings-in-law, parents, and first cousins, their children, my aunt and uncle. So basically, second cousins and below. And that's a lot of people. I mean, you're talking potentially 40, 45 people. And we did not invite one group of step cousins that I have and and I have a good relationship with them and I said Rachel come on we got to invite them we got to invite them 
And I was lobbying for a couple of days. She says, nope, it's too late. We had this discussion starting on Saturday. If you wanted them invited, you should have started this lobbying discussion two weeks ago. Not now. Now it's a non-vite. It's an invitation. It's too late to invite them. Okay. And I said, don't you think we should? We're really good friends with them. Nope. They don't invite us to any of their kids' things. And they won't care, which is what she said. Fine. Didn't like the answer, but I took it. So then I bring it up again. And then eventually Rachel relents. She said, all right, how are you going to handle this? And I said, let me send them a text. And then so anyway, we sent out these invites through an evite. And lo and behold, Rachel forgets to include one of my first cousins once removed and her daughter, who's also my Aunt Camille's daughter. So she said, you got to invite, you know, Cousin Liz, Aunt Camille, and so forth. So I I called them yesterday, but it, it is the irony of all ironies that here Rachel was concerned about giving an invitation too late to people that weren't invited and people that we intended to invite also weren't invited. So I ended up texting them all yesterday. Hey, we're just putting an informal party together. You know, just family, nothing fancy, no gifts or anything. Hope you can come. So I texted all those people yesterday. So I don't think my cousin Liz can come. I'm going to call my Aunt Camille today after the show because she got gets up early to see what her deal is. She, she should come. She lives just a couple of blocks away. But I, I think these step-cousins should be able to sneak in there under the wire. They get in through that that loophole. So we'll see. It's a very stressful thing to throw a party. It really is just the worst. Even, I mean, it's just not a big party. And it's still a very, forget about New Year's Eve. Eve. I, I have made next to no progress on New Year's Eve. Eve. That's becoming very stressful. I need a, a, a day off just to get all my work done, honestly. But um, that's not the, here nor there. So um, if you want to email me, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. If you are one of the many people that are enthused about tr- Twitter again because of Donald Trump, you can find me on Twitter at Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Uh, I do have some clever tweets now and again. And you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fan. In a moment, we are going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. All you have to do is dial. Oh, I want, there's one other story I want to bring to your attention. But you could start queuing up for 15 seconds of fame. Maybe I should save this for tomorrow. I'm going to save this other one for tomorrow. It has to do. It, it's too good. I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm going to tell you about this tomorrow. You could start queuing up for 15 seconds of fame. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The sun goes down. You might need a 
by Stevie G and the Jihadists. This is available on Apple. Um, so when you're not too busy listening to Andrew Cuomo's podcast, you give this song a listen. A better value than Andrew Cuomo's podcast uh, if you want to check it out. Uh, 99 cents to search the other side of midnight. By the way, just a quick update on a story I uh, brought to your attention at the top of the hour. I mentioned how a lot of the observant Jewish Swifties were upset with the dates of her tour. Well, uh, just a quick update on that. After criticism, Taylor Swift did add some orthodox-friendly dates to her upcoming tour. So apparently that's one scandal that has been solved. But, um, yeah, what, initially Shabbat observant Swift, Swifties were very frustrated with the dates, which were all slated for during or just after the end of the Jewish Sabbath on Friday or Saturday nights. In response, Swift added eight more shows to the U.S. leg of her tour on Friday, all on weeknights in cities such as uh, Philadelphia, Seattle, Los Angeles, and a lot of people are happy with her addition. So it seems like, like I said, it seems like Taylor Swift is not only a great talent, but it seems like she's a really nice person, that she really appreciates what her fans have meant to her career, and it looks like she does want to try to accommodate them as uh, as much as possible. I, I don't get the whole concert thing. You've uh, never been to a concert? No, I have. I just have never really liked it. You know, um, my uh, ex-girlfriend Mallory, she really enjoyed um, Maroon 5. So I went with her. I got her tickets to Maroon 5. It was fine. Um, my, um, my wife, when we were dating, I, got, I went with her to uh, Billy Joel. Fine. I, um, it's just not my thing. And so a friend of mine the other day says, uh, and we're, is a good friend of ours. We're friends. My wife and I are friends with him and his wife. And he says, yeah, you know, wouldn't it be great if we get these tickets to... Blink 182. My goodness. I can't think of something I would rather do less than go to a concert for Blink 182. And it's nothing against Blink 182. It's just I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to even live sporting events, which I love. I don't even want to do that. I want to go to sleep. But um, and I said, you know, Brendan, I would go for the fellowship of going with with you and Jessica and having a good time. But it's, it's really not. My idea of fun, but people love it. Uh, people are into who. What concerts have you really enjoyed? Oh, I'm the well. The best hands down was Michael Jackson, the Bad oh, Tour. Oh, okay. The well, Bad Tour. I history. saw the last concert I saw was um, Bruno Mars uh, three years ago. I've seen Guns N' Roses. I've seen uh, Genesis twice. I've seen U two. I've wow, seen so Kiss. You're, you're a big concert three though. times. And I know Alex Barnard is. Yeah, he's always taken off work when he's not sick to go to concerts. That's stuff. right. Are you, Kenneth, where are you on concerts? Yeah, I'm a big concert oh, so guy, Oh, you too. all are. So I'm the only, I, I, I think I'm, look, you can see by the millions of Taylor Swift fans that are, are trying to get tickets that people like concerts. Uh, I like them, too. Eh, I don't know. It's just, it's not, this, it's, it's like one of those things, there's the old expression from that film, The Girl Next Door, 
the juice has to be worth the squeeze, right? Concerts are fun, although I usually find them too loud. But I don't think it's worth the trouble that it takes to go to them. The time, the travel, the parking, the the cost, the uh, sitting in a crowded area with people all around you, the waiting online for the bathroom, waiting online for the concession, the um, uh, getting home late. It's just, again, I don't mean to sound like a fuddy-duddy, but it's just to me not worth all the aggravation. Uh, I find less and less is is worth it from my point of view. Maybe I've gotten spoiled by uh, so many entertainment options at your finger. You know what it is? I, I, I like music, obviously. You can hear the great music that we play. But... I feel like if you're into music, you can listen to a record or a a, a CD or a a digital recording of that same artist and those same songs. Explain to me, Matt, why seeing that song performed live in person is so much more meaningful than just listening to a recording of it. Well, it's always a different version live. I mean, not a lot of times it's not spectacularly different but seeing a live performance of just like if you go to a live broadway show a live performance of of a song that you've heard that you've listened to that you like and an artist that you like is always better than the record especially when they do something different and i've seen uh lenny kravitz in concert i think it was his second tour and lenny kravitz at one point sat down on the end of the stage he was barefoot and just like singing to the crowd and just being there in the moment. And you feel more of a connection to that artist when they're singing to you. Okay. I don't know. It makes sense. Very reasonable. Uh, very reasonable. And obviously you're in the majority uh, on this one. But, you know, my friend Johnny P, this reminds me. I meant to mention this. My friend Johnny P, he's a big concert goer. He was on this show. He was on one of our panels. Great guy. is a good musician in his own right. He does a TV show, and I was recently a guest on that TV show. I have linked to that show on uh, Facebook. So if you want to see my appearance on Johnny P. Johnny Potenza's show, I've, he previously used to be known as Johnny P. Now he's Johnny Potenza. If you want to see that, you can go to Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. You can watch it. You can share it if you want. Well, I thought we had a good discussion. We talked about radio. We talked about the media. We talked about all sorts of stuff. So um, and I think we might have even talked about music. I don't remember. But whatever the case may be. All right. If you want to start queuing up, uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame momentarily. We currently have two open lines. So you can call in at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222 as we indulge in... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Glenn in Hillside. Yeah, the word uh, sanctimonious is supposed to be a pejorative. Uh, it's supposed to mean uh, that you're telling somebody, hey, uh, you're, you're saying you're better than anybody else. Uh, you're holier than thou. So when Trump called them... De- uh, de- 15 sanct- seconds, guys. Mike! Good morning, Frank. Uh, 15 seconds, what can I say? I tuned in an hour ago, and I heard about Sharpton. Here's my feelings about Sharpton, people. He's a shakedown artist. He's a phony reverend, and uh, he couldn't hold the overcoat or the top hat of the late great Martin Luther Thank King. Thank you, Mike. Fred. Good morning, Frank. Do you know a five-letter Yiddish word for bed bug? No. That's fonts. Fonts. Hey, okay. 
Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. In honor of today's National Day of Recognition, I'll be stuffing my face with gingerbread all day. Excellent. Raji. 15 seconds, please, not 12. Yet another prediction, boo-boo, by Dick Morris, who predicted 60 midterm GOP senatorial wins. Please, Dickie, stop with your predictions. David in the Bronx. You really did Bernard Getz a solid by cutting him off when he was talking about African overpopulation and the need for population reduction. Thank you. Rick in Tom's River. Good morning. How are you today? Your ideal concert would be Tiny Tim and Al Jolson. <laughs> Alan in Queens. Yes, I would like to criticize an article in the New York Post. I was an English teacher for New York City, and they took this list. Murrow is one of the best schools miles ahead. Thank you, Alan. Jeff in Queens. Frank, is it true that the, uh, when Curtis and Winston about you not paying the guy who won the, won the thousand, Mike, the winner from last week? For the uh, thousand? Uh, Jeff, as I said, uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, this guy will absolutely get his money. And even our owner, John Katzmatidis, has taken a special interest in his case. So, uh, no. I'm not, I'm not sure when he was expecting to get his money. I mean, it's, it takes time. I haven't even been paid in that amount of time. So, hey, uh, this has been fun. I was going to say something really interesting. I don't remember what it was now. But tune in tomorrow. Find out what it was. Hopefully I'll remember. Uh, This has been a great deal of fun. And uh, we'll have a full expose of the Kennedy assassination tomorrow. Frank Morano, good day. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.